Trash. Trash. Welcome back to another episode of the We Speak English Good podcast. Today's guest is Mr. Christopher Lee Metchis. Christopher is the lead singer and brainchild behind the band Jojo Stella. They're a blues, funk, psychedelic outfit. <laughs> I love that he says that. Uh, he describes himself as an outfit. I think that's awesome. And uh, he, he could, you'll understand why if you listen to the fucking podcast. Uh, I love this conversation. This was just happened yesterday at Big B in Savannah. Uh, so uh, I hope you enjoy it. I thoroughly did. And Christopher has some really interesting ideas and some genius ideas, I think, uh, about the music industry and how we can sort of uh, reconfigure this new model of of streaming music and how the artist always gets kind of fucked at the end and, and he can he just has a really great ideas on how um, a musician can make a living by being an artist and um, I, I think that this is a very valuable podcast to anybody who's looking to um, start really taking the music business seriously the business side of music very seriously and uh i mean we go deep we go deep man we go deep we talk about data scraping and shit it's fucking deep so uh stick around for that but first uh let me do a couple things here i, I just wanted to let y'all know i'll be on tour with my brothers in arms the skinks roots project on the keep it lit tour we uh we start this Friday, July fifth, at the J Lounge. We'll be uh, opening up for Mr. Dan Kelly of Fortunate Youth. Super excited about that. Then we're heading to the New Frontier Club in Patterson, California. Then we're gonna be at the Chandos Cantina in Sacramento, uh, July seventh. Let's see with Sensi Trails. Uh, Sailor Rosa and Easy Dub. Uh, then, then we're skipping down to July 12th to Indian Joe's Brewery uh, in Vista. And July 13th, Ricky's Other Place with, and this is in Yuma, Arizona. Uh, we're, oh, shit. I thought we were in New Mexico. Oh, my God. I'm an idiot. Whatever. Uh, Mellow, we're with Mellow Bean. And then we'll be in Phoenix on July 14th with, uh, um, can never I, I have no idea how to say his name but Zikali Zikali Keely I don't know how to say that I'm very sorry Zikali Keely my bad and then pride through strife and why worry so that is where I'll be for the next couple weeks uh, out on the road with my brothers uh, excited uh, nervous and uh, I, I it's another situation like South by Southwest where I'm just going to be flying in and then they're going to pick me up from the airport and we're going straight to fucking uh, Monterey, California, which, by the way, the Jade Lounge, our first show July 5th, is in Monterey, California. I totally uh, neglected to tell you that. But the Jade Lounge is awesome because it's the it's right outside the fairgrounds. And, of course, the fairgrounds is where they have the Cal Roots, Pro, uh, Cal Roots Festival, which is an amazing festival. And... Uh, that's also where Jimi Hendrix lit his guitar on fire. 
So this the bar is like right on on the outskirt on outside of the fairground. So if you guys know what I'm talking about, just stop by the Jade Lounge. It's awesome. Okay, so uh, moving on. Let's see. We got rainmystique.com, R-E-I-N-A-M-Y-S-T-I-Q-U-E. Go there, check it out, and uh, check out the new uh, album, 1018. I guess it's not that new now. Uh, now that I talked to Christopher, uh, our, you know, our shelf life on our album is, is coming to a close. So, um, But it's new to us, and we're very proud of it. And uh, I had the honor of penning a few of the songs uh, alongside my beautiful wife, Raina. And uh, it, it's our six-song EP we've been working on for a couple years, and we're, we're just super proud of it. So we want you to check it out. You can get physical copies online or anywhere we perform, or you can uh, stream it on Tidal, Apple Music, Spotify, blah 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 okay and then you can go to the re uh <laughs> while you're surfing the interwebs go to we speak english good.net there you will find a newly redesigned website with uh, all kinds of fun things to do there's videos and tutorials video tutorials there's silly videos there's a you can hear the podcast a couple pictures hey you know it's a work in process uh so i'm gonna go ahead and um you know, I'll figure it out. Well, it's a working process. <laughs> Anyways, we're, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at We Speak English Good. You can also follow me on Facebook at We Speak English Good. Uh, let's see what else is. Oh, write the show at We Speak English Good at gmail.com. Leave a review for the podcast. Share the podcast. Rate the podcast. Judge the podcast. <laughs> Okay, that's it for me, guys. I'm going to jump over to Christopher, and uh, I'll see you guys on the other side. Um, I assure you that I'm just mumbling and jabbering on right now. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> could you could you introduce yourself, man? Uh, my name is Christopher Metchis. Do you want to link I, that to your liking? I don't know. Oh no, this is fine. Okay, I cool. usually like to talk t- talk just above the mic. Oh, okay. Keeps keeps away some wind noise and stuff. Gotcha. It's always just been a nice EQ for my voice. Oh, I like that. No, I like uh, I like vocalists who like know their voice enough to um, uh, to uh, adjust for it. You know, like not. I don't know. You also play guitar very well, so, but like, uh, have you ever ran into like a vocalist who's just like, I don't know what the key is, I don't know, just do this and tried to hum melodies and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. And it, there's nothing wrong with that, and I, I work perfectly fine with that, and I've had to do that a lot, especially MDing and stuff. But it's just like when, when, a, when a vocalist comes in and is like, yeah, it's in this key, and they can talk music, and it's like, hey, you know, it, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it's just always nice, you know? Oh, and yeah. so when someone comes with their own, uh, this is how my voice sounds the best on a microphone, it's like, I, I always <laughs> like that, because it's like, I feel like, I don't know if you feel like this, or if this is even true. You just but learned some tricks <laughs> in the field over the years, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, you and know, it's just maturity just, over time. Yeah, for sure. The, uh, my wife is, my wife is a vocalist, and she, uh, she's run into a lot of, um, 
what do you call it? Uh, I don't know. There's kind of a bias with uh, with musicians, like instrumentalists, with vocalists. I don't know if you've ever run into this. Have you ever ran into this? I mean, you're a singer as well, so I don't know if this even registers to you. But have you ever seen that where the there's sort of a, a bias from the instrumentalist towards the vocalist because I guess they're saying that vocalists aren't instrumentalists or they don't play an instrument. They're just born with their gift. Have you, did you ever notice that, or is that? I noticed that during practice, the vocalist is usually bored if they don't if they don't play an instrument. They're what? They're usually bored if they don't play an instrument. <laughs> Man, like they're not doing anything. Bored and ignored, right? Yeah. Um, so. I'm, so they're ready to sing again, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, I never. I don't work with like a lot of like people who are like just vocalists. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can handle it yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel, but I like. Um, like, I know Esther Cohen in oh, okay. the area. She's like a really, she's a, an example of like a really great vocalist right. who really knows like what, what, what's what's going on. Right. And um, uh, you know, I've always like my, admired her style. Mm-hmm. You know, she's always had great mic control, great breathing control. Yeah. You know, so I guess like if I were, I were to think about that, I would be I would think about it and try to imagine like. How, how a star would yeah, yeah, yeah. handle that so situation. So you have a high standard already, right? Yeah. You I, I guess not really like a high standard. Like, um, uh, I just haven't really worked with a, like a lot of just vocalists. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. Yeah, because yeah. what, so you usually do your own projects? Is that, I mean, like, because we made each other through um, Drew's project, uh, but do you usually just gravitate towards your own thing? You just sort of put your own stuff together? Or do you, do you like to go out and be like just a background player? I've been trying to go out and be a background player. Um, uh, for the longest time, it was just, it was just my groups, uh, JoJo, Stella. And then like before that, it was a group called The Bricks. I had another group in high school called The Blue Skies, which was like acoustic folk kind of thing kind of folk punk but mixed with like a lot of like i really liked like um like american poetry mm-hmm. like old like american classics and things okay. like that yeah, so yeah, it, was, yeah. it was like really like you know yeah yeah, that yeah. Kind of, just that kind of very folk. traditional folk. Yeah, yeah that's um those are fun but yeah I mean, I, this year i really started trying to branch out play behind other players oh. i contacted people and really been trying to put the work in for that um drew I saw Drew's post uh, on Facebook, and I contacted him through that. Right. So, and then, like, um, like at the beginning of May, we we uh, had Joe Marcinek sit in with us at a festival, and we ended up being his backing band <laughs> at a festival. And that was actually kind of that was the first time we'd ever we we'd been like a backing band, like yeah. professionally for somebody. And this is JoJo Stella. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so JoJo Stella came in. We he 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 had us be his backing band, but then he had like. Had like Ed McGee, and like yeah. Dave Katz on stage. It was it was it was yeah. kind of a wild um, first time to try and do yeah. something like this. Like, okay, yeah. first time really getting thrown into the pot here. Yeah, like, yeah. That those are the best way though. I, I feel yeah. like it's like uh, it's like ripping the bandaid off, or it's like jumping in the pool in the deep end, which I don't suggest. Uh, that's more. <laughs> but you know, I'm saying, uh, kind of throwing yourself into a situation and and it really tests you. And I feel like a lot of people who are, especially if they're interested in doing something like that, they kind of step up, especially if they've been prepared for or preparing. Well, yeah, it, kind of. it, it really helped 
like running my own projects for the mm. longest time. Cause yeah. the, well, I've always sort of been like the, the force of nature in the group. Like mm-hmm. I've always been like the guy who like writes the songs and right. books the gigs and, and right. does. Right, you handle it, you, know? you, you pay the band, you I try, take I, care of I try really hard to get other people involved, but you know, that most of the time they just, they either, they, they just don't know how to do it or they don't know how to approach it or, yeah. you know, whatever it is, you know. Yeah. It, it, it just, I'm just the one that does it. But um, I feel like a lot of that kind of, helped with a lot of this because not only did I have experience like leading other people mm. but like playing as a team player but then like so then when somebody else is leading like I know where they're coming from right I kind of know what they want yeah and so like in, in a lot of ways like being in that position really helped prepare me to like show up to Joe Marcinek's thing yeah. you know what I mean for sure and, and just show up have yeah. the material nailed and just do I've been, it I've been talking about this a lot lately about how I mean, how old are you? Do you mind? 27. You're 27? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Okay. I thought you... Never mind. How old uh, do you think I was? I thought you were older, to be honest. And I'm sorry. Okay. I, I don't mean to be an no, asshole. Cool, I man. thought you were older. But I think it's the beard and the wispy hair. and You just have a mature sensibility about you. And <laughs> not that 27-year-olds aren't mature people, but I remember how I was when I was 27. I don't know. Tell me I'm mature. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker. Hot coffee in the face. Um, Oh, I don't, oh, yeah. So <laughs> I was like, what the fuck was I talking about? Uh, but it's, it's weird how all these like, different skills that you acquire in life sort of build up to this point. And, and when you know that you're on the, like, I don't know, this is kind of woo-woo, but when you feel like or you know you're on the right path, like all these different skills that you thought were insignificant just sort of emerge. And it's like these are very useful. Hmm. Like I had very little... Uh, photography experience and Photoshop experience. Uh, I've studied it back in the day. I lost interest. But now it's like I'm doing way more photography and having to edit photos a lot now. And, and it's just like I kind of knew how to do it and now that sort of transferred and I'm able to sort of work with it. And so it's sort of merging because it's like I'm able to shoot music videos for my wife or for our project or for me. I'm able to do all these things to sort of push what I'm doing further. And, and I don't know, do you feel that? Like, is it, I mean, because you kind of were touching on it when you're saying all these experiences as being like your own MD for your own bands and, and then walking into oh, yeah. like to that, that situation, you're just like, you're kind of prepared for it, even though you're like, oh, okay, here we go. The amount of, the amount of skills that have nothing to do with music that I've had to learn as a result of playing music yeah. is like, I mean, I couldn't even, I, I can't right. even, like, what are some off, offhand skills? Like data scraping? <laughs> data scraping is like something that's really like, really been important. Yeah. And, and like my strategy in like booking, yeah. like, like that's like a huge thing. Can you just thing. explain data scraping just quickly if you can? So, um, I use uh, a process called RPA, uh, Robotic Process Automation. Uh-huh. Um, usually what I do is I'll, I'll find like um, 50 bands that are in a similar uh, or slightly higher market value than me and have a similar sound and I, I, I want to like emulate their tour schedule. Like they're really out there killing it. You know what I mean? So what I'll do is I'll go on their Facebook page and I'll just... I'll just scrape all their events. I'll scrape the name of the event, the link to the URL, the name of the venue they played at, the email address, the venue, um, all of it. And um, 
I'll do that for like 50 bands. And, you know, Facebook has a habit of, you know, bands have a habit of not having their entire schedule on Facebook, but I'm not looking for that. See, what I end up doing is, after all the band's events are done being scraped, you can then concatenate this giant list of venues that all these groups have played at, you know, and you can make a histogram, like, of these 50 bands, these are the most popular venues that they played at. You know what I mean? So you're like charting and making pie graphs and shit to see like what is the most uh, popular and, and oh you, yeah, and then you use that information. To when target. I cold call, when I cold call, and this is a real thing that happens if you, if you if you use India on the move a lot, and like for anybody that's listening to this, you know, uh, uh, really write down who does not want to book you because they will after a while they'll start marking you as spam. Oh. And that actually gets uh, uh, reflected back to like SMTP servers and stuff like that. So when you go to reach out to a venue who d might want to book you, you automatically get sent to their spam folder. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like the more venues you reach out to that don't want to book you or, or, or that people that don't respond to you, and especially with, with an email address you're booking with, like SMTP servers see that as spam. Mm -hmm. And so you actually have to like work hard to narrow down your results and really make it count. You gotta have, make, I, I keep track of like my response rate, you know, and, and things like that from venues. Wow. Because it, it's, a, it's a really important uh, metric to keep track of. Yes. You know, otherwise, and I, I've noticed too, ever since I did start keeping track of it, you know, I get a lot more responses back. I went from getting, I, I mean, I, I, there were days I used to send out, like I go through India on the move and send, just blast yeah. out, you know, yeah. 100, 150 emails in a day, and I'd get three back. Right. You know what I mean? And this way, you know, if, if you have uh, a narrowed down list of venues from a scene that you're working with, my response rate is much higher. Yeah. You know, I mean, I would get back like 15 people, yeah. you know, 20 people out of that 100 instead. You know what I mean? And, and you know, my, maybe not all of them would want to book us. They might be like, oh, you know, you know, contact us later in the season or, right, right. you know, not still not interested. Maybe yeah, they yeah. just weren't interested because we didn't have the market value. Who knows? Right. Whatever. But um, the point is, is that they responded. Yes. You know what I mean? And the point is is, is that you're not getting s sent to spam. You're getting seen. And, and I, think that, I think that in the music industry these days, like, we're going towards a data-centric model. You know? And understanding your data, understanding the data of your peers around you is like, really important. And so like, leaning back into what you were talking about with, with skill sets that don't really have anything to do with music data. Right. That data-centric model... I mean, it's how Spotify works. It's how everything these days work, and right. we can't. We can no longer just rely on getting gigs by sending out EP or like press kits in the mail or yes. sending, just shooting out EPKs. Just don't work. Right, just random messages with no. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, because especially if you're a band that doesn't have, I guess like you were referring to it as a market value. Someone like maybe a band that's just starting to hit the road and you know starting to build their their following. Yeah. It's hard. It's like, like you're saying. So this sort of cuts through that, and and then so do you use, do you use that information for like Facebook targeting and marketing and stuff, or do you not mess with Facebook marketing? I mean, I, I do ad marketing ad and stuff. Marketing. I, see, I but, know but very I, little I, about this, so this is very interesting. And, and I do I do I do tar target mark market stuff, mm -hmm. but it's all based on what people like. You know, so if I'm trying to promote a show, I'm trying to target to people ages. Uh, you know, 18 to 35, unless it's like a, a bar. Right, And then we right. got to sell alcohol, then it's like 21 to 35. Right. You know, 
um, on Facebook, I actually have a habit. I'll go to um, like event pages uh, of like big festivals, yeah. and I'll go to the attended section. I'll, and everybody who marked themselves as attending, mm-hmm. not not interested, right? But directly I'm attending. Going, yeah. If if they look like they're under thirty five, I'll add them as a friend. And and this actually has some unique results. There's a lot of those people that will check out my profile and then check out the music and they'll they'll comment on my profile and express how much they like the music. Yeah. They'll they'll message me um, and ask me questions and, and I get to introduce them to the music. And nine times out of ten, uh, they they stay my friend and yeah. they continue to like the posts and stuff like that just simply because we had that interaction. Right. And you know you'd think it'd be the opposite because I'm straight up with them. They're like, hey, who are you? Why, why do I? Why are you adding me as a friend? Right. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm literally just going through this event page and adding people as friends, trying oh. to. And I just tell them the truth, right? You know, and I'm straight up like, you know, remove me. Yeah. If you don't like music, you don't want anything to do it. Just go ahead, remove me. I won't be offended. Right. And then they, they instead they just ask questions. Yeah. You know, I mean, I even one there's one particular lady who ended up being like the mother of a bass player of another band. And actually, this is, this is why I, I try not to add people who are, <laughs> who are over 35. Like, she was a super nice lady, and she actually ended up being like a, a really big fan. Um, but like, you know, it was, it was bass player's mom. So I was like, <laughs> it only like, goes so far with the fan base. But she, but she no man, she, she does, she comes, every time we play in Cincinnati, this, this dude's mom, she comes out and she comes out and sees us. She yeah. comes out to the show, and it was because I added her as a friend on Facebook. So it, it's, it really, um, it helps. Yeah. It really does help. And, and, and you, you build up these almost like a mailing list. You know what I mean? Like Facebook is only going to, sh- on your page that you, right. you, after two weeks, I'll invite them to like my page. Right. Uh, and I, I think at the beginning of this year, year we had, or well, back in November, at least in 2018, we had like 1,700 likes. And now we've got almost like 3,000. Oh, nice. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. you do that, you really You're build bu- it in an organic way without having to pay for any likes. Right. I've never paid for likes. Oh, I will never pay well, for that, likes. That to me is, uh, there's something fucked up about paying for likes. Like, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't particularly like it. It's I not like, an organic reach. It's not. And, and, it, there's, like, and you can always tell, though, like, especially on Instagram, it's huge where you can just go through. And people have like 10,000 followers. And you go in their interactions, and there's like two or three likes on each post. And if that was like a real organic growth, there would be a lot more interaction. There would be a lot more people commenting and, and you know trying. Yeah, it's like well, it's it's growth hacking. Either way, one either way, you, whether you look at it from my way mm-hmm. of doing it, or you look at it from somebody who has like a, a like farm. I mean, it's it's growth hacking. Yeah. And 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 and, and bottom line, you either have uh, productive growth hacking or unproductive growth oh, hacking. Right. You know what I mean? If you pay for likes. You know, many of those likes aren't going to be connected to anybody that you know. Right. You know, and they're not going to get any results. Right. They're not going to come to your show. They're not going yeah. to. Yeah. They're not going to sponsor your modeling career, whatever but if you, it is. But if you leverage these 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 big festivals, they, they don't have to be super big. You know, right. like even something as small as like recently there was a sh- there was a show at um, Coyote Grove a little bit east of here. Um, food for Folks. Okay. And that had a bunch of local bands on it. You know, none of the bands were like, you know, Papadocio or, you know, like yeah, Ghost Note Big or whatever. Right, right, but right. but they were, they, it was a community of people. Yeah. And there was enough people there that, like, after we're done here, I'm probably going to go try to add them all as friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, uh, 
that's just how how I I've that's just a skill set mm-hmm. is like literally like social media marketing. Right. You know, and then you've got like data scraping. I I, I wouldn't so, say I could use I could probably find a way to use data scraping mm-hmm. to do marketing. Yeah. But I think that's actually against Facebook's terms of service. Oh. <laughs> like well, like I've I try to be careful with that. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. public information only kind yeah. of thing. Well and here's the other thing about Facebook is that information, all that data that that you know you're collecting and getting followers and stuff, at the end of the day, that's still all their information and they're mining their own shit of it. You actually touched on it very briefly, but you said a mailing list. And that's one thing that I know that um, is talked a lot. It's a popular subject. Well, mailing lists says we know it are dead. What'd you say? Say mailing lists says we, it was, we knew them are dead. Yeah. But we, but you can still have mailing lists. You can get email lists. Yes. And then if if you then you make lists of people. There's ways to like correlate those emails mm-hmm. to the people on Facebook, and then correlate them to like other platforms. If yes. that If that makes sense, it's like this. It's like you you. I think you work with some of the, you know what a relational database is? No, 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 no. I don't know anything really about this, and I'm actually interested in in getting more into it. And so it, it's, fu- it's funny it's these, days, these days, most of the time when I talk about music, I end up talking about data scraping. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Cause everybody will just like, cause it's like everybody's got their like music down. It's like, now how do I fucking put this out there where people will listen to it and, you know, share it and well, yeah. know, create, create and, a, a growth. And this is the, the stuff that like the big boys are doing. Like, I mean, they're already, they're, they're already there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but even like many of the booking and management companies that I've seen aren't there yet. Yeah. When I worked for I worked for Alchemy House for a little bit, and Alchemy House they they book um, like Hookahville, uh, they used to book Tropodelic, uh, Ron Holloway, um, you know, just, just lots of really big semi-national acts. Right, right. But you know, I remember days when I was an intern there, and they would just have me seriously going through and putting in one music festival at a time into a spreadsheet data point by data point by hand and I mean there's just nothing efficient about that there's nothing efficient about about trying to be a musician and you have to spend 100 hours a week 70 hours a week trying to do it and then you're sitting there beating your head against you know your desk like how do I make this work how, how do I make this into a business and like the the answer my friends for anybody that's listening <laughs> is you need to automate your process. You need to figure out a way to do it. You, you need to, whether it's using even some simple stuff, use Buffer to make, to make your posts. Like, make all your posts for the week ahead of time. Make, make plans and strategies for release. You know, the more you dig in, and I'm not saying that it's easy. We, I got myself into an interesting situation because we had a two-year hiatus where I was just wasn't doing anything, and so <laughs> this was what I did. What, what, what were you doing? I mean, you were just were you just existing? And because you also, which is funny, uh, I don't know if you want to talk anything about this. Uh, and I want to get back to what we were just talking about. But like, you do like Bitcoin mining and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, you have many, many talents, many facets of of business that you're involved with. But um, yeah, yeah, and I don't think I don't think anybody is like anybody who listens to this. They're probably not going to go out and be like robotic process automation. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm going to do this. And do- right. like, it took me like. I mean, I've been messing with that for like over a year and a half. Right. You know what I mean? It, it took me 
four years to get JoJo still just the infrastructure where we are now. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I mean, that's not saying much considering, considering, you know, our market value and stuff like that. But like, the, the way we handle it as a business, like, that's what's important overall. Like, you don't want to be, you want to work smart, not hard. Right, and right, at the right. end of the day, like, one of the things as musicians we need to realize is, 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 are these data-centric models, like, your data as a musician is valuable. You can leverage your data. You might have a contact with one venue owner that you can leverage, you know what I mean? And I think there needs to be more social platforms out there that aren't cheapened by news feeds and things like that. Uh, and, 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 and like Reverb Nation is crap. Yeah. Like it's, it's the worst social media platform ever. You know, well, any, and Indie on the Move is great, but it's outdated. Mm -hmm. Like we need something with Indie on the Move's data, database, mm -hmm. but it has like a workflow automation like Slack. Okay. You know what I mean? Like Slack for musicians, but with data sets involved. Like we need something like that. Mm -hmm real bad and it's just not there so so when anybody who's listening to this it doesn't matter what tech skills you have like you don't have to have a lot of tech skills just look look up ways of automating your process cutting down on the hours of, of, of a week that you're spending on it you know it might not be worth it for you to sit there and make all your CDs by hand right. it might be worth it to just spend the $120 go to atomicdisc.com right. and get 100 cheap CDs right you know and and that might be the way to go yeah I, I find that with uh, especially with, like business owners uh, who, are, who are just getting started and this is just business owners in general is that they try to take on so much themselves they don't they're not trying, you know, they're not outsourcing the graphics for, you know, like they want to make their own logo. They want, you know, they want to, they want to find their own uh, space, which obviously people want space, but you know, you can get an agent to help you, uh, uh, a realty agent to help you find his way. But having these people help you, and, and I get it, when you're starting a business or you're starting a band and you want to start promoting, there's probably not a lot of money yeah. available. And so it's like, how do you, you know, how do you know where to put the money um, at the point of your career? Like, how, how do you know where yeah, to Yeah, it's, like it's like a chicken or the egg situation. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you get, you get venues that are like, well, you need, you need an EPK and, like, all these recordings and stuff like that to get booked here. Right. And then, like, uh, you know, it's like, well, to build up a resume and... EPK of like what we played, we need to play there. Play places, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. We like, need to play places, and that, and, and it, I mean that's that's how you know that's how kids are when they get out of college. You know, they're just like you know I need you need four years of experience to work at this mindless job. But it's like, dude, I just got out of college. How am I supposed to have experience with that? So it's always just finding your way. Uh, another thing is sort of when people are, are going hog balls about marketing and then the product sucks. Like I've seen yeah. that. Like, have you ever seen like an ad yeah. where it's just like, wow, why would you do that? You know, or, yeah. or whatever it is. It's, I and, think. And I, people, and, you know, and people try stuff. Like, yeah. like uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of just trying stuff just to try it and like trying to make the execution like really as solid as yeah. you can. Even yeah. if there's like technical issues, like, like a week ago, I did like this live stream, and like I've never released anything like this. I, my goal was to do like a live stream, and like I really set it up right. I had like 
you know, open broadcast studio and everything. Oh, and I had like this whole like animated idol screen and stuff <laughs> like yeah. that. And I was releasing a music video. Right. You know, but during it, I had never done it before. I had spent like at least four hours before the stream <laughs> getting everything down and being right. like, okay, this is how I mute the mic and yeah, do yeah. my scene transitions and stuff. And I was like, okay, here we go. Yeah. I'm going to do this. And I had like really tried to build it up and pr promote it. At, but like, uh, when I hit the stream and stuff like that, it was, I was so awkward. Like, I mean, at least that's how I perceived it. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I like, I had moments of silence. Like, I should have maybe gone back and been like, all right, we're going to take some questions, you know, and like, <laughs> gone back. Like, I've got some hindsight. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it was like my first stream, you know, but I did everything I could, you know, and I really, we released a music video. The music video was great, you know, we got some people watching it, uh -huh. you know, but then there was like a whole like 10, 15 minutes where my mic was just muted. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so like, sometimes the quality of the product is a, is um, the vicarious nature of just trying new things. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you have to like, I think Eric Clapton used to say it's like right through the bad, yeah. like work through the bad. Like, right. It doesn't matter if the song that you're writing is good or bad. It doesn't matter if the product or the marketing approach that you're doing is good or bad in that moment. Like, it's about trying new things and it's not like in two years anyone's gonna see the crappy poster that you put out or the crappy song that you that you put out and right. then maybe later delete it or whatever nobody's gonna talk about it mm. if it sucked nobody's gonna talk about it or remember it yeah. so like let things suck <laughs> put things out that suck and let them suck because yeah. nobody cares yeah and then finally once it does not suck people <laughs> will care right. and then they, they, you know what I mean like I do I do as long as long as you don't <laughs> around acting like you're the shit right if the product does suck right right yeah and knowing yourself and knowing humility what you are. yeah exactly yeah. having having humility enough to understand and and that is an important thing that you're kind of touching on especially when it comes to making music or any kind of art is is there's gonna be there's gonna be failure and so much it, failure it's so much failure <laughs> Work through the work through the bad, right? Get to the good. Uh, it's just you're gonna fail, but what did you do wrong? You know, like what exactly. what is it that you did wrong? Let's let's analyze it. Let's look at it. It's self analysis, being real with yourself, knowing that like, hey, I know that I recorded this on my fucking on my iPhone, and it, I think it sounds okay, and you just put it out there to just get reactions and stuff. Well, yeah, and but you need to be you need to be like, I know that this is just this, and. You, you just gotta be real about what you're putting out there and real with and especially in this climate yeah. the, the the music climate nowadays has changed so much from like the 90s and early 2000s yeah. and the new metal era like we're entering into this era of like super musicians like I don't even know how to put it it's like it's like pop music is like being taken over by like jazz musicians got yeah. tired of EDM outpacing the popularity and everything else like yeah. you know you got you got guys out there like nerve and jojo mayer yeah, like man. killing it ghost no killing it well, and, and, dude or like mono or, neon like and, and then the obvious like the obvious like like snarky puppies yeah and, uh, and those and like uh but but you know, like past that yeah yeah the climate changed so much that if you're an artist and you've got emotional issues and you're thinking in your, in your mind like, oh, I'm just an artist, but my music someday I'm gonna be like a rock star. Like, <laughs> hell no. Yeah, yeah. Like it's done. It's done. Like that was that was a a 60 year blip in time, my yeah. friends. Like 
There, there's never going to be another time in history where like a, a musician like you're going to have like a large portion of famous musicians owning private jets like <laughs> there's like a few of them and they don't even own the private jets yeah. like the companies own the private jets like yeah, there, there's no more of that we're 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 at the bubble pop of, of the record industry we're at the bubble pop of the festival industry um and the festivals at this point are really just a way to like make back money that can't be made through the record industry because like a lot of the record industry props up yeah you know what i mean like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like you can't even get on bonnaroo if unless you're on polestar right, right and you can like you know like i i i think and that's another data centric right. model you know sign like polestar they sell data that's what they do they, right. they sell and trade data um, and they've been doing that for a while now. For a long time. And, and, and is, that, is, that, is that a site that you would still suggest to people? I mean, I mean, everybody lies on Polestar nowadays. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you have enough money, you can lie on Polestar. Right. They literally let you, they, I think they've got like a feature on there. You can pay. I might be wrong, mm-hmm. but I'm sure you can like pay to like. Just pay your way on. And, 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 and post the data that you kind of want people to see. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then again, you know, you could, if you're a festival promoter, you can post the data that those bands don't want yeah. other people to see. <laughs> I, 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 but I think, I think it's just like, you know, because of this changing climate, this, this, the musicians have to work harder than ever or get smart and, and find ways to automate the process yeah. to actually have time to live their lives. Like, if you're an artist and your thought process is still in like the selling tickets mindset and like the, the, the I'm going to get on a record label, just stick to it being an art. Yeah. Like, you, the the climate's changing too much. Yeah. You know, you're not, you're gonna have a really hard time supporting yourself. More so than any other time in history, like the the adjusted inflation rates have, or the inflation rates have not been adjusted for musicians. You know, like yeah. ticket prices are still the same. <laughs> yeah. Everything's still the same, and the only way to beat that is to literally make a musical product that's so solid and then have like five hours of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and build up a market value around it to where somebody's willing to give you a guarantee for that or you can pull enough people to where you get to keep, keep that door and that's the only way really to like, you know, and, and, then, and then this isn't just like, I'm gonna stop myself here because I guess I am focusing a lot on the the business side of it. I like to wear different hats, the artist hat and the course, business hat. It is the music business yeah. for a reason. From a business perspective, if, if, if your goal is to get on a record industry and you've got like, you know, anxiety and mental health issues and you're trying to be like this, like, like quirky social snowflake, like, like releasing music, like it's just ain't happening no more. Right. It's not gonna happen. Yeah. You need to literally run it like a business yeah totally. you need you need to own it you need you need to have like crap like damn near like personal software models like to like keep track of it you you are basically you're basically like it's like um booking your band nowadays is very similar to like like i don't know routing for like a waste management company almost like you like you got like this 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 whole routing map Thing that you're trying to do and you're trying to route your band and and then you know you get the marketing and so, I mean, it's 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 crazy uh, yeah and, and, and that's the that's the point where me and my wife are at now is like well we have a product we have an act we we can do this 
but sending emails eight hours a day is yielding almost nothing. If and you're an, if you're an artist and your art is not to the point where you feel you could stop working on art for like a a week straight. Yeah. And just focus on infrastructure and backhand and really dry, boring things to yeah. make sure that while you're on the road, nothing goes wrong. Right. You know, and make sure that the expenses are handled and make sure that money is getting allocated to the right places so that you can continue on. Then, like, you need to, like, just keep working on the art until you can get to that point. Now, you have... You're, you're part of a PR firm, correct? Is, is I'm, not, I'm not part of a PR okay, firm. I'm sorry. Then we're done with that. <laughs> what is, uh, this is actually a question for my wife, um, but it, it, she was like, she was, she, we're, like I said, we're kind of looking into this. We're seriously considering, you know, PR, marketing, and um, she was just curious on what you thought the difference between marketing and PR was. Well, you... Well, for one, like if you're if marketing has to do with like exposing a brand mm -hmm. to like a, a certain subset of people, right? You know what I mean, like a, like your your audience. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, public relations has to do with building on that brand through third parties. Mm -hmm. So like um, you could hire a publicist uh, to get you. Uh, reviews and interviews with magazines and stuff like that mm -hmm. and it's much it's generally cheaper mm -hmm. it's generally cheaper and um way more efficient to, to hire a publicist yeah but you gotta hire the right one like there's uh there's this there's a lot of scammy people that go around and they have mailing lists and lists of people that are literally just other publicists <laughs> And that just doesn't go anywhere. Right. It doesn't go anywhere. Right. So you really have to be careful. But if you can find yourself a really good publicist that truly has connections, you know what I mean? Yeah. You can pay $150 and you can bypass like paywalls. Like I've seen magazines with paywalls that are straight up like $800 and will review your album. Like yeah, that straight up. There's, there's bands out there that are, are only getting into magazines because they have a lot of money <laughs> to throw at it. Yeah. And like, sure, if, if you have a bunch of money and you've got a product, do it, right. do it. Like, don't, don't worry about a publicist. Oh, right. Like if, if you just want a clear cut way, but like if you're a band that wants to do it organically and you don't want to just like pay your way through, you want to deserve it, like get a publicist. You don't, instead of paying $800 for the interview, you could pay 150 and that publicist probably knows somebody who's an editor right. from reaching out to them a bunch more. So mm -hmm. like, like PR has to do with like leveraging other people's connections in the industry. Like it sounds much better to be like, "Hey, this band's really cool," than to be like, "Hey, my band's really cool." <laughs> you know, like yeah. you know, there's a huge difference. <laughs> and I think that to me is the difference between marketing and PR. Mm -hmm. And actually, you could actually probably even break it down into those statements. Like PR is, "Hey, this band's really good." Yeah. Marketing is, "Hey, my band's really good." <laughs> you know. So. So is this something that you would work on together, or would that be something that you would approach separately? Well, first of all, if, if you were going to go outsource what you're already doing. If I was going to outsource to a publicist, you, first, of all, it, a first of all, if, if, if you're an artist and you want to hire, hire a publicist, you need a brand, ask yourself first, do you have any music out yet? 
you don't have any music out yet, don't even think about it. Right, right. If, if your last album release was over a year ago, don't even think about it. Like, like the, the, the lifespan of an album has drastically decreased thanks yeah. to streaming and stuff. Like, you, you, the real industry lifespan uh, of, like, uh, an album is, like, two weeks. I'm not even joking. No, no, you're right because like, it's like you it's heard so about the bad. Taylor's. Well, I mean, Taylor Swift is a little different. We're, that's they they have they have the money to throw at it, so yeah. she can stay in the milieu, uh, you know, uh, longer. But someone who just comes out that might be like you know a national act, but doesn't have that main thing. There's like there's it does like, go by real quick. There are artists who specialize in internet releases. They don't play any live shows. And what they do is they do this whole pre-save, pre-release phase, mm-hmm. and they get, they have a huge, they built up a huge fan base over time. Yeah. And so what they do is they end up triggering Spotify's algorithms, and then Spotify puts them on editorial playlists, and then they end up getting like, you know, half a million plays in two weeks. Right. And then immediately it shoots down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, because those editorial playlists are so are released so often. Right. You know, so like. There, that's the strategy that people could take is like triggering Spotify al- algorithms to get that. Now, those values don't necessarily mean anything. You know what I mean? Because those are just people are probably just studying and listening to those playlists. Right. And who knows how many of them actually stick. But, you know, like I, I think that um, when, when it comes to streaming services, when it comes to releasing music, don't hire a publicist unless you have a strategy. Like, you're not going to hire a publicist and they're going to guide you through the process. Like, you need to approach a publicist with a plan. Like, I'm contacting you because I have this single that I want to get out there. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, what do you want to do with it? Are you trying to get it reviewed? Are you trying to get it listened to? Trying to get it on samplers? Like, what are you trying to do with it? And that's, like, the first thing a publicist is going to do. So, like, you need to know what you want to do and it, it seems like it kind of defeats the purpose because you would want to hire like a publicist yeah because you know what to do here's the money go do it yeah you know what i mean like if and at that point like you know, some people might think like well if i already know what to do why would i even spend the money on somebody <laughs> else doing it and it comes back to like it sounds much better yeah. say hey <laughs> this band is really cool and they have connections they have ways right. around and that's what things. you're paying for is their actual connections their network of, of people they can reach out to yeah. to implement your plan yeah um now is, is would a pr would it be smart to go to a pr if you're trying to just just book shows just to book tours is that something no you wouldn't go to pr to book tours you, you, you would look for you would look for a talent management agency uh, somebody who handles booking specifically, um, and and there's I know there's like a lot of people who have like a skewed view of booking, and so I'm gonna tell you right now, the standard deal for booking is 10% to 15% of whatever the band makes, excluding merch. So, if your band makes uh, like 500 bucks guaranteed on a gig. You're paying your and, and you agreed to pay your agent fifteen percent. You're paying them fifteen percent of five hundred dollars. Now there's 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 bands out there that seem to think that you have to outright hire an agent. You, you they just pay a flat fee, and I don't think that's worth it. 
I don't, I don't think that's worth it because with, with, with a percentage, you're incentivizing that talent buyer, again, to utilize their connections to bring your market value up. Yeah. So it brings up your market value having a booking agent automatically, but, but you're, you're, you're also incentivizing them to get a better guarantee for you as, a, as an artist. Like, it, it creates, like, a self-feeding loop. Right, right. Like, you don't ever... Like, I, I, I've talked to and spoken to a couple agents that are hiring, like, flat-rate booking services where they, like, oh, I book, you know, nine months in advance, I'll book your whole tour, you know. And I guess they could have its value. Mm-hmm. Like, I could see the value in it. Like, if you're, if you're going to release a record and you just want a full one month tour and you want it to look good on social media or whatever but you know you don't know you don't know the quality of those gigs yeah whereas a talent agency they've got a roster they've got they've got this this organic thing they've built up and that they want to build up with you and if you're on there they want you to be a part of that it's it is it is a, a feedback loop that they're creating. They're creating their own scenes, almost. Yeah. Some of these talent agencies even book big festivals. Alchemy House is a booking and talent management agency, and they actually have a whole other... Um, well, they were a talent booking agency, but they also had another uh, side of the company called Alchemy House Productions okay. that only handled festival productions, yeah. things like that. And... Um, that benefited them heavily. You know, you know I mean, I, I remember there was one Hookahville where they did this big reunion with Acoustic Hookah. Yeah. And I mean, there was like almost... Was this last five, year? This was 2016, 2015. Oh, okay. And there was almost, there was almost like 5,000 people there for that. Yeah. I mean, for, you got to imagine for a lot, some people, it was almost like 10 years since the last time some of those guys had played together. Right. So that was a big deal. You know what I mean? And... Um, only somebody like um, a, like a put together talent management agency could really throw an event like that. Could really put something together, unless like that festival is like everything that company does, right. you know. And I think um, so. I, I think you know for PR, you're gonna you're gonna hit up hit people. Use, use that for record releases and getting the lead out right. to third party publications. For if you want somebody to help you book and route and, and tour, you need to find somebody who's willing to work on a 10 percent to 15 percent uh, uh, scale, and who has all built connections or knows how to approach it in a cold call way where you know they're not getting flagged by spam all the time. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. that, you know, that's, yeah, you know, yeah, no. if, you, if, if your band booking email is getting flagged as spam, just, just imagine <laughs> like, unless that booking agent has a plan of action or has a way of managing their outreach properly, you know, you don't just want anybody reaching out. Yeah. There, there, there is an art to doing that too. For sure. For sure. It's a, it, it, it's a crazy jungle out there, but, uh, it's making more sense, I guess. I mean, like, for instance, with the podcast, it's like um, there's growth. It's growing. 
but like I don't know why I don't know how and this is very bad and I should I probably even shouldn't be saying this in public it's like I don't know but no I'm, I'm completely honest with my fan base well is I, somebody well, is me too me too I mean like my fan base knows that I, I'm a, I did lots of drugs and was a degenerate asshole and like they know like way more than my mom knows about me which is sad <laughs> but I think I think all of our fan bases probably know more about us than our moms do. <laughs> they know. But they know. <laughs> but it's uh. But it's like I don't get. I, I, I don't get it. Like I don't really. I, I've looked into it. I don't really know how to market it. I've, I've tried organic growth. And I'm trying to do this growth with the platforms and stuff like that. But I really don't know what I attribute the growth to, other than I just keep going. And that's. That's, so that's all I'm doing. I mean, like, what, how, how would you approach like growing a podcast? I, how can I, I? How can I keep these people entertained? It just keep going with. I would like, doing this. Like I, I after that, this kind of goes back after. Remember that yeah. live stream I told you about oh. that I tried. Well, I started coming up with more ideas for it. There you go. And like one of the one of the ideas I had was like, okay, well, what if we did like a Hollywood Squares kind of thing, <laughs> where we get like we get like some like Sacred Harvest is coming up. Yeah. What if I get like you know a member of Litz, yeah. and then like Chris Bro, yeah. and then we ask them like questions, and like they do this whole tic tac toe thing, and <laughs> you know what I mean, yes. like you know what I mean, yeah, like uh, and that could be something that viewers could then be involved in we could get randomly choose a viewer and they could right. play this live streamed game show and win right. swag and, and win things and and it creates this push and pull of an interaction where yeah. where they want to tune in you know what i mean it, yeah, yeah. It, it really things things that grab their attention i think when when you tend to like you've got you've got a few things you've got your you know your modus operandi you know like your your, your operation your, mm-hmm. your the podcast itself mm-hmm. you know and that's 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 what you do but then like there's like i don't want to say gimmicks not really gimmicks but like right. you can have you can have various things you can do various things you can you can give things away you can find incentives for people to tune into certain things yeah. that then create other organic growth and Facebook advertising actually can help with that you know if, if you have something that that you can advertise and incentivize people to tune into pay to have advertised and that will create more organic growth down the line people will revisit something that they're interested in and it really is like that and yes people people are, are pretty pretty just like careless and will just dispose of things they stop caring about yeah. after 60 seconds but like you know there's times where they don't there's there's times where they just keep coming back right you know i mean you, we talked about the crypto space a little bit you know dude some of those guys are just talking about charts they've got like 2000 viewers on their live streams <laughs> like uh, like charts cra- cra- no d- <laughs> like yeah no, it, it, because there is like, there is, there is a fan for you. Um, I actually have you heard of the the thousand true fans thing? Have no. you heard of that? It's like if you can build yourself a thousand true fans, people who are gonna show up, people who are gonna pay for your album, people who want to support you, then you can make a living 
as an artist uh, with your a thousand true fans. I, I mean, like, a thousand is an attainable number for people to think about. You know, it yeah. seems like a lot, but it's, it's, it's not that many people. It's really not, yeah. But to grab people, like you're saying, in this world where it's, everything's so disposable, where, like, I'll listen to a band, I love this album, and then I'll forget about it because another one came up on my Spotify, and I'm just like, oh, my God, this is it, you know? And, yeah. and then you forgot. Like, I just did that with uh, FKJ. Like, last year, I, I fell in love with FKJ. All of a sudden, I don't remember who he is, and I'm like, who is the artist? And I couldn't figure the fuck out until I saw someone post FKJ, and I'm like, oh, my God, there it is. But, I mean, that just speaks to how... It's just like, I really like that. And I forgot. And so even when you really like something, it's still easy to just sort of, it falls in the feed. And so grabbing those thousand, I mean, that's what I've heard. This is, this is something. Well, I agree with that. And I'll even, I would actually like even further expand on that. Please. Like the, the ticket selling model. You should not have to rely on your friends to show up to a show to make a living. Yeah. If, 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 90% of the audience are like close friends you went to high school with. You don't have a fan base. You don't. You just have, you're just a popular person right. with a lot of friends from high school. Exactly. Like, a real fan base are people that you don't know who like your music. Yeah. I mean, you can have fans that you know, right, and, and that's cool, and it's cool to get to know your fans. Right. But, but like, you need to decouple yourself, your, your, mon your, your income yeah. as an artist from your friends yeah. you know what I mean yeah. like like I want to the goal is to be able to advertise a show in another city you know and 150 300 people show up right. you know what I mean and those could be some of the people that you know some people you might know some people most of them you don't know you know some of them just heard about the show and just got dragged out you know what I mean but like when it gets to that point that's a fan base yeah. You know what I mean? Like, even if the, the people that are there didn't know about you, their friends dragged you out. Right. You know, yeah, totally. or dra dragged them out. They, their friends dragged them out because they liked this band. Yeah. And, that, and, that's, and, and then another thing is, like, is, like, the... the this is going to sound kind of weird, but, like, the passing on of the legacy of a band. Mm -hmm. So, like, you'll notice, like, I, I've noticed, like, bands... Especially like in the jam scene, hmm. like, like, like with Kuskuka, Kuskuka comes and goes in like four-year waves. Yeah, it's have you ever cool. noticed that? I, I, I kind of, but I've been gone for years. But I follow them, you know. I love. You know what else thing. comes and goes in four-year waves? It's high school, <laughs> like in college. So like, you get this introductory period and transition period where you introduce your music to like college students, and then those folks really get into it and stuff right. like that and then high school kids hear about it you know from their other older brother you, you want to get like like late high school kids interested in music in in, in your music yeah. as a brand because what ends up happening is that it gets passed down the chain yeah you know what i mean like i mean i think i think panic at the disco was like the biggest middle school band ever when yeah. i was in middle school and, and um, my girlfriend's got a, a 13 year old daughter and she's so into Panic at the yeah. Disco and it's, and it's like they've kept yeah. that demographic that's the demographic our 13 year old 
middle school kids right you know and and it's interesting too because they're they're the ones with the videos right they have the the fun no, videos or is that no no that's okay go okay go never yeah, mind. yeah yeah okay yeah never pan, mind, panic at the disco did the um uh uh i chimed in with the haven't you people ever heard of yeah i mean i i, I the I've goddamn heard. door <laughs> Uh, is that no? That's oh oh. I'm going down. Uh, is that them? No, that's Fall Out Boy, right? What? I don't all know. All those bands. I would yes. Okay. I mean all those bands. Yeah, I didn't yeah. listen. I didn't listen to them at town when I was in middle right, school. Right. But they were they were very popular. Yeah. But but there's something to be said about that market model, like yeah. grabbing kids in high school, impressing them in high school. Yeah. They they kids kids need something to grab onto. They become emotional about things. They they find their heroes. They look up to things. I mean, I can't, I can't tell you the amount of times when I was in high school, I heard people gushing about Sweeney. Yeah. And from Acoustic Hookah, you know yes. what I mean? And then even as, as I got older, now all those people are all grown up. They've got kids and they've got, you know, family members, nieces and nephews who are now in high school and they're trying to like pass them on, right. you know, and that's how that legacy gets started. Right. That's how, that, that, that is how you, another way to help build that thousand, that thousand fans and not have it rely on selling tickets to your friends. I think that's a huge problem. I, I, I think the, the, and I'm gonna make this clear, and I wanna actually dedicate this, this part of what I'm about to say to this. Don't sell tickets for people who are going to take a cut of the tickets. There are certain people in the city of Toledo who shall not be named that want your money and they'll tell you anything and everything to make you believe that they love your music and care about your music and they'll, they'll say whatever you need to hear and they own the majority of the rock venues in the city and I think most of the people here know exactly who I'm talking about and you should do everything you can to not play those venues they create a volatile atmosphere for musicians they ruin the community um, they pit young kids against each other and they they rip off artists uh, I myself have been ripped off by them. They promise certain things, certain amounts of money, and then they don't deliver. Mm. And and it's literally like a pyramid scheme, some sort of pyramid scheme-ish thing that's just blended over from the pop of the new metal bubble. Yeah. You know? And, and you know, that model that I know exactly what you're talking about, they've been doing that for years, even before... Years. Even before that, even yeah. into the 90s. Yeah. But so, in the 90s, it worked a little bit better mm -hmm. yeah. because um, that kind of model worked. There was an internet at the time. Yeah. People, what did you do on a Friday night? You either stayed home and watched you know, TV. Right. And there was no Dish Network. There was no Netflix right, and whatever. Right. You, know, you stayed home, you watched TV, and, or you, um, you went out. Right. I mean, I really love that. Ep there's a, I, I love watching Pulp Fiction every once in a while. And there's a scene where uh, 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 he can't remember, like, a, a word. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't. actually, now I can't even remember. Now it's happened to me. So <laughs> we're a little bit of an exception here. But he, he can't um, remember something. And uh -huh. he's like, ah, God, it's going to kill me. Yeah. Because he can't just look it up on his cell phone. Right. You know, and, and that, but that's like a testament to that time. Like, People didn't have live streaming, whatever. If you didn't go out, you missed it. Yeah, it's over. You man. missed it. That's yeah. where everybody was at right, Friday right. night. That don't happen no more. Right. That that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, people's lives are pretty mapped out. Like if they're gonna go spend their time doing something, they they 
they most of the time look into what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think the, 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 the concept of making bands sell tickets instead of having people, it's just like, I mean, they'll try and make an argument like, well, why? Oh, if you're so, if you got a draw, you should be able to sell these tickets no problem. It's like, yeah, but you're taking most of the money. <laughs> right. There's no other venues I've played in in Ohio that do that. It's a, it, it is a weird model and one that I don't personally agree with. I, I mean, it could be okay, I guess. Okay, I'm not. No, even, it couldn't. Okay, okay. <laughs> because no, because in San Diego, these models got. There was a time when I first got to San Diego back in 2006. The music scene there was pretty disparate and like no one was really going to each other's show. No, there was not a lot of support. There wasn't a lot of community support except for like very specific things. And you had this pay for play idea, you know, implemented. But once it went past a certain point and the musicians started taking over, taking control, owning the scene, uh, and, and you know, people start the, the the keys started getting handed over to the next generation. You saw that quickly dwindle out, and those people who were still doing that in that scene were kind of shunned. They were like, "Ew, get the fuck out of here! You pay us, we're musicians." In Toledo, though, I understand. And, we don't and, have we don't have a large enough population. I think. Right. Okay, so like to break things down statistically, in Toledo, you have maybe three hundred people that are willing to go to a live concert. Mm. On any given night, they're probably broken up between two, sh- two three shows. And occasionally you get r- lucky, you can get them all out. Yeah, yeah. Very occasionally, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, seen me too, it. me too. Totally seen it. I've seen it too. But like, that is not enough people <laughs> to have a music scene off of. Mm. I mean, you, San Diego probably has a couple thousand people. If, yeah. not, if, not, if not, maybe even like 10,000 people that are willing to go out. Well, it's a hyper-social city. Exactly. It's always sunny. Everybody's barbecuing. They're sun-baked, permanently hot tub. It's fucking In Toledo, it's hot, these yeah. guys, they go in towards the end of the lifespan of a venue and they buy it out. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, and that's what, that's what we're dealing with Toledo. Like, not only do we have to deal with the, that business model, but they own all of the venues that like if, if if you can't hold down a full four hour night and and have some sort of music that's like marketable to the average person like if you're playing like hard rock you know what i mean like you're you're gonna end up at one of those venues owned by these cats right you know what i mean and and it's it's why jojo stella doesn't play toledo yeah because we we just can't justify it. Yeah. You know, I could I could go play a, a similar venue in another city, actually be paid decently, and I'm not competing against the other bands. Yeah. You know, it's not a volatile, contentious atmosphere. Right. You know what I mean? And it's not like this whole like, oh, you just got here, you've got to prove your worth. <laughs> you know, it's like everybody genuinely respects each other's music. We all work yeah. hard at the music, man. Yeah. I I shouldn't have to have to make a bunch of money for some venue owner the venue owner should be paying for the service right and and like i i get market value with bands and and people want to bring a band that's going to bring money in because they're trying to sell booze or whatever it is you know but a band can't bring people to a venue that isn't gonna that nobody wants to go to yes 
Exactly. And, and that, especially if that venue is not necessarily fostering a community rather than just taking from a community. Exactly. Um, but, you know, I, I'm... I, I agree with you. I, I, I don't... But I don't in a bigger like city, in a bigger city, though, like, my hopes is that Toledo will eventually grow. Like, there'll just well, be some sort of artistic renaissance where enough people can come out to turn that around. But don't you think that in the last, I mean, even 10 years that there has been growth here? No, it's gotten yeah, worse. No, seriously. We lost, we lost the original, the best version of the Ottawa Tavern in the last 10 years. Oh, wow. The Ottawa Tavern... Used, used to be like the hot spot. I remember they that. used to they used to pay pay decently. There used to be so many great bands going through there. And like yeah, it's still like a youth kind of hot spot. But like again, it's owned by the same people that are really not not doing anything for the music community. I mean, it changed hands and then nobody went there for a while because like there was some drama between the original owner and like the guy who booked there, and then it got sold to this other dude who was from Detroit, and he kept he was like really racist and just like <laughs> like homophobic and just like yeah, yeah. said really awful things yeah. to people. People boycotted it, and then that was the end of the lifespan of the venue, and that's when these guys bought it. And and so like, what has happened is all these venues that used to be Mickey Finn's. Yeah. Mickey Finn's was a great venue. Oh, I loved that place. You know, I used uh, to run an open mic there. It was amazing. Yeah, well, guess who ran it into the ground? <laughs> who, was the, who was the last person to run music at that? Yeah. And it's the same people that we're talking about right now. We're the last people to run music at that venue, and it's closed now. Right. You know, Frankie's, owned by those people. Main Street, owned by those people. You know, Boonies yeah. is owned by those people. So you, th- you think it's gotten worse? Well, I guess I'm coming at it. We need more. We need more. Um, art rock. I'm gonna. Call, I'm just gonna call any anything that can't be like homogenized into like blues, funk, like <laughs> average, like like familiar to top forties for right. like people to listen to of like four hours. I'm just gonna call art rock. Yeah, yeah. For, or, or or art music. Right, right. For for for, for, for original the original music, original musicians. Yeah, original musicians. I do agree for the purpose with you for the purposes of this of this conversation. Just to just to like you know classify it yeah. so we can communicate it easily. We need more art music venues that aren't owned by these people, that are willing to pay, that, 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 that are fostering a community, and therefore are able to pay from, from a, a mix of drink sales. There's, there's a town called Yellow Springs, not too far from here. Yeah, Dave Chappelle lives there, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole town is maybe two blocks long. There's one bar in town, and everybody in town comes out to play. There's a live show. Everybody's there, and it's because they foster music. They foster the music there. And I'll tell you right now, like if any bands want to get paid there, it's a it's it's a free show to enter. Nobody has to pay a cover charge, but the band still gets paid one dollar for each head that walks in the door. There's also a two hundred dollar guarantee laid down for the band to take or bands to split because there's usually two bands that night, and they, so each band automatically has a one hundred dollar guarantee. Plus, they're splitting one dollar for each head that walks in the door. The patrons get to come in for free, and after the bar hits a thousand dollars, then the bands get another ten percent. Now, I like—I don't know about you, but I really like that. I do too. That's very fair. I do too. I, and I this believe- this venue has been around for a long time. They've been very successful, you know. And I don't know—it's just because they're a small community, but I think that could work in Toledo. Yeah, I mean, it's a small enough community where that probably could work. And absolutely. I mean, and that and that idea. 
transfers to big communities as well. Exactly. It's not like that's a new thing that they're yeah. doing, taking care of the musicians and, and working it out in a fair way. It's not it's not a new thing. And that's exactly <laughs> what I what I mean. Like it's that's an example of a venue that's been doing it for a long time and and, and it works. Yeah. And it's fair. Yeah. You know, like there might be nobody there at the venue and I might make nothing, but at least I had a fair chance to do that. <laughs> yeah. At least I had a fair chance to screw up. Like right, give right. me at least like at least let me do the screwing up. Right, like don't right. screw it up for me, you know. Yeah. Like and we just don't have that in Toledo. You know, the only venues that that are that are fair, you know, you're playing four or three hours at. Right, right. You know, and I don't I like those gigs. I don't mind it. But like you're not gonna be doing national stages you know going touring around playing a lot of these clubs if your focus is those those kinds of gigs I mean you could do a, a mix of them and stuff like that but I don't know it's it's rough I, I think something's got to give and something needs to change and I, I just don't think that like those these these kinds of um promotion companies that are buying out these venues like this are helping. I, I don't see it having gotten better in the last 10 years. What I do see is is there being a lot of changes like pedicabs and stuff like that downtown, which have increased foot traffic mm-hmm. for people. So that way there's like more foot traffic through the bars, which is right. nice. That That is an increase. That's I guess that's what I'm talking about because when coming from San Diego, it was, I mean, it's a big, it's a big city, lots of work. Oh, yeah. Coming from San Diego and coming to Toledo as a musician, I was like, holy shit, I'm just going to die on the vine, just wither away because I'm going to go to the city and what am I going to do? But I was pleasantly surprised that I was able to work. And when I say work, I'm not talking about going out and playing a 45-minute set of your music and getting paid well. I'm talking about going and playing the covers and doing the cover band scene. And for me... I'm okay with it because I I do my own music. I do original shows. I do that. I have an outlet for that, but I also have a son and I have to pay bills. And yeah. I would rather go play Brown Eyed Girl than fucking work in an office in a cubicle where my soul will truly die, you know? Yeah. So I don't give a fuck. I'm all about that. But I, I do see your point. I, I see your point. So and that is true. There's nothing really here to to foster that originality in, in a, I mean we a, got we got the foot traffic now yeah, they've improved downtown it. but what we need to do is like the city really needs to take a look at that mm-hmm. at this like some some somebody at some point somebody's got to be like whoa there's like a monopoly going on yeah. in this particular area and unfortunately there's just nobody looking at it like that because for whatever reason the music industry is a completely unregulated music industry it's completely unregulated like there's no OSHA standing <laughs> around being like did this musician get paid? Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, you know, yeah, there's BMI. Yeah, ASCAP, but like, they're not. You're not gonna. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna call up. I'm gonna call up ASCAP and be like, this dude, Toby, he's gonna give me a hundred bucks, and he only paid me fifty. Like, we're on it, sir. Yeah, Christopher, we're on our way. Yeah, and you know, normally it's not, it's not small amounts like that. Normally, it's like they'll, they'll promise you like four hundred and give you fifty. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so we barely even talked about you. So I would love to shift. I, I love what we're talking about, and I'm not trying to veer away. If you have more to say, please. But I'm just curious. Do you come from a musical family? Are you uh, not at all? Okay. So uh, all right. What 
what was the atmosphere towards music in your household? Um, I mean, or, or it was, what, it was what happened of, when you were like, I want to be a musician? I just pursued it myself. It, there was no support? There was little support. I mean, I mean, like, I've never seen any of my family attend a concert. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never... The majority of my interactions surrounding music were my dad telling me it was too late. Yeah. You know, it's too late playing, for that guitar, shit. playing guitar. Yeah. But um, uh, I did not have a very artistic family growing up. My, my dad actually worked on computers. Oh, okay. Um, uh, he, he had a bunch of various jobs in computers. When I was younger, he worked, he did um, uh, the onboard uh computers for like NASCAR and IndyCar oh, sweet. Formula One Hydro Racing they would collect the data from the vehicles to then use to improve the vehicle okay um, that's interesting that your dad was sort of doing some sort of data scraping I guess and well it was data collection from the insides of the cars yeah. they were on board computers they would tell you know like this is how much how many G's are being applied to this side of the car mm-hmm. you know yeah, yeah, yeah. what's going on collecting the analytics and yeah yeah and um he got out of that as I got older because he got sick and he went into more like um, network stuff, installing networks, fixing computers, things like that. And my mom, uh, she owned like a flower shop. Okay. She was a florist most of the time growing up. So That's nice. I like it. Flowers are nice. So so they weren't, they weren't like, don't do music. They were just like, they just were indifferent? I mean, yeah, it was a very indifferent atmosphere. Okay. <laughs> it didn't, really, it didn't I mean, really matter one way or another. I mean... For me, I was a latchkey kid, so like my parents worked all the time, and so me and my sister were left to our own devices, like fucking Lord of the Flies. So I'm, like, the fact that I'm sitting here <laughs> soberish, uh, fucking, is very surprising to me. But uh, I, I mean, were you kind of latchkey then? Like, were you just sort of left to your own devices? They were like, just do you, and we're gonna do us. I mean, like, I mean, I'm just curious. Like, it seems like the indifference. Because my parents were kind of indifferent, but they were supportive. They were like, I guess if you want to do that, I'll buy you a guitar. They put um, my shit, but I, I don't know. Well, none of my gear was bought by my family. Okay. Uh, I Like, my uncle bought me, like, a really tiny Behringer oh. mixer one time. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, does your uncle play, or is he... No. So, there's, like, literally no lineage of music anywhere in your family? No, no, nowhere in my family. Wow, I, that's I, um, I, I pretty much got my gear and everything. Like, my family never... I would ask my family for gear, guitar strings, mm. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever, and they just wouldn't get it. <laughs> they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't get it. I... My guitar, my PRS, was actually given to me by my best friend's dad. Oh wow! When I was when I was 15. He gave it to me for Christmas. That's wonderful. And the Ibanez amp that I played through uh, was actually like I borrowed an amp from this kid, from this dude. He's like kind of my age. Yeah. Uh, and then he very suddenly ended up moving, and I tried to give it back to him, and he's like, Ah, you just hold on to Damn it. Man. I, I did that when I was leaving San Diego. I had like amps in my studio, yeah, and I yeah. was just like, I can't take this in the van because me and my wife van life to Toledo. But um, you know, we couldn't. We we had to get a storage unit, and there was all this equipment. Some broke, some worked, some wasn't mine. That was just left in my studio after years of being in there. 
was just like, what the fuck am I going to do with this? So I just piled I did, it all on them. I did attend Toledo School for the Arts. Oh, okay, sweet. Uh, for music. Uh, well, that's I was nice. I was homeschooled for, okay. for like, uh, I had like really bad behavior problems when I was like in ninth grade and stuff like that. Uh, what kind of behavior problems? Real bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I did too. I, um... I mean, like, I was a cutter, and I was fucking... I was snoring reeling, and fucking... Yeah, just, yeah. Just being fucking the worst person. Classic, cla- classic medicated, yeah. hate yourself, hate everyone else, oh, everyone yeah, hates totally. you, kid. My scars that are here, yeah. you know, those are a reminder of how much I hated myself. And, you know? and I'm just now starting to like myself. So it's but, like, it's taken a long time to recover from those. So, but the school, the public schools, they didn't really want to deal with me, so they yeah, actually... They didn't want to deal with me either, man. They wouldn't let me attend anymore i had i i ended up going to getting homeschooled and i was like this sucks yeah i ended up like cheating my way through all of my all of my uh homeschooled tests and hopefully nobody like hears this and they're like you have to go through the i couldn't imagine the ninth grade again i couldn't imagine you would be like okay i'll go i'll go i mean but like i mean what else would they do like all they did was time you how much you spent in a program it was a terrible system. I mean, I literally would just spend seven hours playing guitar and <laughs> answer random questions and then make a C or whatever. Yeah. I eventually wanted to go to TSA, so I had to really buckle down. So I did that. I got into TSA, and um, I just worked really hard at music from that point on. It was a lot of, like, borrowing instruments and, and things like that, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and... So like most of like my push to learn music was to like impress teachers and impress my peers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I don't I don't really have too much contact with my family these days. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And, and and you know I'm I'm not, I don't want to push because. Uh, but so with with high school and TSA, you kind of got this great foundation of music and. Was there any like teachers that ever stuck out to you that really just was like almost like a mentor or any kind of mentorship? A couple. I had I had a creative writing teacher who challenged me. He said, "If you cannot use any of the cuss words on this list in one of your songs, I'll give you a mountain dulcimer." And dude did. Oh, he gave me gave me a mountain dulcimer. I had I did not not use any of those words in any of my songs for the rest of the year. For the rest of the year. For the rest of the year, and that's awesome. And, and so, what? You just had a lot of angry lyrics. Younger, you just lots of cussing and stuff. Or not, not angry lyrics. I was just, I just felt uninhibited. I wanted to feel uninhibited, and I wanted to like, like put in things that made people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Cause like, at the time I was like young, so I was writing. Like I think I was going through like a folk punk phase, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So it's like it's like a lot of it's like, you know, you want to write that whole style is like writing about like, you know, dispossession of in society and you know socio political problems and stuff like that. But you got to find a way to like make it stick out. Right. Cause Sound you, pretty. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to point out the hypocrisy, but. How can I do it in three minutes or less and people stick around to the end? You know, yeah, <laughs> and, and, but like, you know, vulgar language is one way to do that. Yeah, for sure. Vulgar language makes people feel things. I love, I, dude, I love it. I, I cuss constantly. I, I, I know, I know my intelligence and, and like something I heard all my life was like, 
why you cuss? There's better words than that. It's like sometimes there's not. Sometimes it's just this visceral utterance that I have to be like, fuck you. You know what I mean? It's this, it's this, this visceral thing that has to come out sometimes. And uh, it's just, I mean, stifling that. I, I, I think he was just trying to expand your mind, not try to stifle you. I, I mean, is that, that's what you take, obviously. Oh, yeah, oh, absolutely. He was like trying to get you to think outside of doing just staying in his lane and yeah also, not, also probably try to keep control of his creative writing class yeah yeah <laughs> it's like, it's like a little asshole just always, were you a disruptive student oh hell yeah uh, i had a, i had a i had a teacher once and he was and he tried to claim he's like you know because he was talking he got into a point where he's like you know somebody asked him very openly you know if he's religious like what he thinks happens when we die yeah He's like, all right, you guys want to get into this? Fine. I'm not supposed to, but let's do it. <laughs> and he was like, when people die, the reason they see lights is just because, you know, they're looking up when they die. They see lights on the top of the ceiling. I raised my hand. I was like, what about the release of, like, diamethyltryptamine in, like, the brain when you die? Like, doesn't, doesn't like, that cause, like, hallucinations and stuff like that? And, like, and I just remember that teacher getting so annoyed at me. Yeah. Just so annoyed at me for being like asking this question, and, right. and like he refused to answer it. Mm. You know what I mean? And right. it was like it was like a very much like um, like he could. I was definitely being obtuse. Yeah. Just to be obtuse, I was being like a little asshole. Of course. But like it was a legit question. Yes. You know what I mean? And he, as a science teacher and a biology teacher, <laughs> could not answer that, and that bothered me. That is. It bothered me that and. Is, you know, and like the other kids are like, shut up, dude. I just want to get on with the class. You know, I was like one of those kids. Like, mm -hmm. I would obtusely question the teacher. Ah. Yes. Very, very much so. Like, I remember being in an orchestra asking if I could play my violin underneath my arm. <laughs> like, like, like Charlie Daniels style. Oh, okay. Like, That's nice. like, but all of a sudden, did not like it. They, they said no. They said no. <laughs> so no. In fact, the teacher didn't even actually believe that it was a real thing. Oh. Which was very odd, considering that she's in uh, 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 the Toledo Symphony Orchestra. Yeah. You'd think, you'd think that she would be at least a little familiar with... That's the thing about these classically trained people. They get they, and, and what I find in the classically trained is that there's a stuffiness, and there's this... Uh, um, I love to poke elitist. the stuffiness. Yes, there's this I elitism that I it, hate. Like, why? Because you just play other people's music over and over again nicely and and with finesse. That you are somehow awesome and superior to people who fucking like are grinding and writing and creating new fucking possibilities. Well, I like to think of music as like as like a conversation. Of I brought this up, I think, one time when we were at practice mm. with Drew, like. And it 100% is. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between class, classically trained music is they're like reading, like they're really like reciting a book, like yes. making a speech. Right. Like with somebody like in jazz, you know, or like even funk and lots of rock. Like right, it is right. a communication tool. Like you're having a conversation, you know, and I think like the ultimate musicians are those who can like combine those. Right. You know, and who can, who can read the charts and read music right. and have the conversation, you know. Right. Like... That's a truly literate person. Like, if anybody deserves to be stuffy and stuck up, it's it's a, it's a, it's a really good people. it's the really good jazz musicians. Yes. Like, I don't think, like, and, and it's interesting because you you see classical musicians try to put like their spin on stuff. Like, I saw this video recently, like like funk music as transposed by like a classical musician, 
and they like tried to like break down like the beat and like yeah. the, the subdivisions of the notes yeah. and it just did not work. Yeah, you sterilized it. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Great. You know, like and like I think there's value in classical music. Of course. But like at the end of the day, it's like they're all just worker ants. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they, they can get great tone. It's not easy doing. It's no. not it's not easy. Like there's like a term like think we call it, like reading fly shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you know, I've seen I've seen like at TSA, you know, there it gets really competitive there. Like there was these two kids, there's one little girl who was like in the sixth or seventh grade when I was in studio orchestra there. And she was we were in the same orchestra class because they weren't they weren't divided by grade, they were divided by skill level. Yeah. And she was like was this girl from Britain who had came and they, they she like lived here now and then this other other kid they were the same age and they had this piece they would improvise together oh wow on their instrument on viola and violin mm-hmm. and they would do this dance where they would literally circle each other like 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 I don't know like a, like a, a Spanish dance the dancers yeah yeah something yeah. and like they would just be so intense and they would do this before class and I thought it was one, like, one of the most talented amazing things that I'd ever seen and there was just no other classical musicians there to do it. There was also another kid who there who was like really into like urban culture and hip hop and would always come in wear, wearing like fifty dollar t shirts and yeah, like yeah. whatever he gets like super freaked out, you know, if yeah. if somebody like like, you know, spilled something near him because his clothes he's all about his clothes. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. But dude could play viola like you would not believe. Yeah, just, you know what I mean? And I, I I think that like if you can't communicate with your musician, you're not a musician. Mm. It doesn't, you're not a musician. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and be adamant about that statement. Like, I like that. That's if a you're, strong statement. If, 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 you play cl- if you play classical music, you cannot improvise. You cannot feel the music. You cannot speak with the music. You are not a musician. Yeah. You, you, you are a robot. You, I, I know like this is going to be really unpopular. And like, go ahead. Send me hate messages to my <laughs> inbox. Like, I challenge you. Like, do it. I don't care. I'm going to stick by this statement. <laughs> like, a musician is somebody who can speak with music. Like, and if you're just reciting somebody else's words. Yeah. You know no, I mean? I, I, and I agree with you. And, uh, and I'm not trying to make anybody mad. I, I agree. I am. Well, okay, that's great. It, I, I mean, like, <laughs> no, because I, I find validity in... in all the music that is being done, I mean, like, it took time. They put the work in. I, I don't mind that there's people out there who can't communicate musically in that sense right. impro- through improvisation. It's just that I don't appreciate the stuffiness that comes along with it. It's like, it's like when people are talking shit about, like, hallucinogenics who've never done hallucinogenics or people who talk shit about pot who's never done pot. It's yeah. like, how do you fucking even know if this is bad or good for anybody just because what? someone told you, you know what I mean? Like, and it's sort of like that stereotypical banter. Like, the only reason I would want to say that is because they're stuffy. Like, maybe if they weren't, if they weren't stuffy, I probably wouldn't even no, go as far as No, you wouldn't even care. Some, I wouldn't even care. I had probably went. It was like go play your fucking viola, you know, play Bach until your fucking. But like the the contention creates a a feedback loop of contention that makes me just want to say things that are. I I have that same impulse (laughs) to just say things that inflame the situation, Um, but. It seems like you were a pretty articulate kid and, and you're smart and, and like I'm sure all your teachers saw like 
potential. Did you get the, you got a lot of potential talk ever? I got a lot of that. I got like, a, you got a yeah. lot of potential. It's like, oh, thank you for putting I, me. I got a lot of that from like the other end of the business. Mm. Like I got a lot of the end of it. Like while I was being punished yeah. for things, you know what I mean? Like, I would get I would get in trouble a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah, me too, yeah. I was like, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, and I yes, got kicked so yes. out. Oh, yeah, I got kicked out. I, I had to go to a private school. almost got kicked out of that. Yeah. I got kicked out of my first high school for... I mean, I was hanging rainbow bright dolls with pieces of glass in their forehead by their neck with a guitar string because I heard it on a Beck song and fucking blood running down her face. Uh, what was it? There was a razor blade in one hand, slit wrist. This is what was walking when you walked into class. I got there early just to do this. Hang, hung it from the projection screen. Right when you walk in, all you see, and, and also, just for fun, I brought in the food coloring and made dripping blood, and there was a pool underneath as well. So I got kicked out of that school. I think, I think a lot of, a lot of <laughs> you know, it's funny, a lot of kids, they do that, like, people look at them, they're like, oh, that person's just weird or whatever. Like, that's yeah. like, a lot of it's just, like, trying to, like, see if you get a rise out of people. Yes. Like, yes. Like, I wonder if I can freak out some teachers or, like, whatever. And it's funny, and, but then sometimes it backfires. Then you get kicked out, and then yeah. you have to figure out your parents. Well, for me, my I put my parents through a shit. It's lots of me and my sister both were assholes. But like I said, it was like Lord of the Flies until we hit a certain point, and then my sister was out of the house, and then it was just me and whatever the circumstances were at the time. But it was like I didn't know. Like no one was telling me how to behave. I mean, I knew what was right and wrong, but. No one was guiding me and like, fuck it, you know, like I, I was just raising myself, going to school, learning th- shit from TV. And, What's and interesting just, is why is it okay for other kids to try and get a rise out of me? Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and, you know, with like the whole, you know, bullying culture yes. that was like really prevalent at that time. I don't know about now. Yeah, it seems like kind it's of, kind of it's kind of died down. The newer generation seems like way more respectful. It's more cyberbully now. And yeah, even that's kind of being shunned. But like, yeah, like why is it okay for those kids to try and get a rise out of me? But when I try and do it in a much more creative way, they don't like it. <laughs> yeah, and 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 that was that was like, I mean, the thing about high school and school, I hated it. I hated every minute of it. I was very uncomfortable. I sweat all the time, and I was fat as fuck. I was like 350 pounds in fucking in high school, so I hated it. And the only thing that saved me was I had to create uh, a personality or else I would have gotten eaten alive. I would have been called bitch tits until my eyes fucking fell on my head. It was like, uh, I, I, I had a sense of humor. And so I was able to circumvent bullying because there was bullying at, at, in, in the very younger ages. But as soon as I was able to sort of see where my, I could make people laugh and I could piss teachers off, and that made people laugh, and I could do stupid things, and that was my, that was my, that was it. I was just like, I'll just glom onto that, and that, that just never ended. I just kept on saying stupid things, but, but yeah, I, I feel like there's something to the, the, the kid who is, who is trying to get a rise, and, and especially the ones who have some kind of intelligence, and especially when you're bored, like, when you're just sitting there and you're bored listening to this fucking yeah. person drone on about, who gives a fuck about that? I have no interest in what you're saying, and you are forcing me face to face you, sitting in my ass, not moving, because I'm a kid, I should be in motion, and fucking just talking at me. And and what, we're supposed to absorb this information for five minutes until I can pass the test? Fuck you, that's not education. 
go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. So past high school, did you end up going to college at all, or did you just just went off and I went, started? Well, I got accepted actually to uh, a musicians institute. Oh, tight! Out in LA. LA, yeah. And they ha- they were going to pay for like half my tuition. Oh, that's awesome. So like, um. Uh, but I couldn't get a cosigner. Nobody in my family would cosign it. I couldn't get a single person to cosign the loan. Um, and so I ended up going to UT, and sure as shit, I, I went to UT for like, I went to UT for like one semester, because the, 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 they would not let me test out of theory like one and, and stuff like that. Like, and I had already taken theory one at TSA. It was the same class. But what really was the slap, slap in the face was that the books that they used to teach guitar at UT were name. written by the Musicians Institute. Oh, so, okay. I was going to say, if they're Mel Bay books, I'm going to be mad, but that's even worse for you. Yeah, like, <sighs> so. But at least it was, and it was the same education. And it, was, it, was, it was cool, but, you know, like, like, I just got, like... There's some cool musicians at UT. A lot of really great musicians, actually. I just didn't feel like having to go through the rudiments again. Yeah. Like, I should be able to learn as much as I want, as fast as I want. Yes. Like, just because I want to learn faster, like, that's not right. No, I feel you. You know, and and I feel, I feel, and like, and the other thing is, like, I feel like the only reason you go to college for music like is because a you want to learn a lot of music theory really fast, right. you know what I mean. Um, it, but I'm already like the type of person who like seeks that on my own for free. Right. Or b the connections, and there was just like not the right kind of connections that I wanted to know at UT. Yes. You know what I mean. And so I I dropped out of UT and. And, you know, I had some other life problems in my early 20s and stuff like that. Um, do, you, do you want to touch on those or? No. Okay. I no. just, you know, it's just stuff, you know. Oh, early I 20s, get, getting your life started, you know. Getting your life No, my early Be, Being, a, being a, a musician. I hitchhiked for a while. Oh, that's fun. That's, that's, that's something. Did you? <laughs> that's something. <laughs> so, I did so, stuff. Yeah, you did. No, it, I know. I know how it goes, man. In your early twenties, and you're just trying to figure shit out, and you, you have this self hatred that you don't even—you're not even aware of it. And um, and then for me, it was just—I wasn't aware of that I hated myself so much, or I was angry, and I just flooded myself with like drugs and alcohol. And then I went to San Diego to sort of get away from that. It's not, you're not going anywhere. It's going with you, man. Like, the fucking monkey comes with you. Um, So, like, it just transferred out into a bigger platform where then I burnt all my bridges (laughs) until I stopped drinking. And then all of a sudden, people started hiring me again. So, that wasn't until I was 30, though. And so, my 20s were mostly, mostly just fucking out. But, so, when, so... What, when did JoJo Stella start? When was the uh, inception? When, when did you? 2014. Okay. Um, I had, Dave and I had already been playing together for a few years at that point. Dave is? Uh, Dave, Dave, uh, David Morris is my bass player. Bass player, okay. JoJo Stella. Sweet. Um, and then Dan had seen us at other shows. He went to BGSU for jazz. Oh, okay. uh, he graduated 
for jazz studies, uh, jazz drumming particularly. And um, he had seen us at Howard's and just really wanted to play. So I can't actually, you know, it's funny. I can't actually even remember how we ended up in a practice room at UT, all of us together. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, I think it was Galen, Galen Bundy. Um, Galen Bundy was another, he was a jazz uh, a piano keyboardist from BGSU. He's actually since gone up to Detroit and done a bunch of stuff in the Detroit jazz oh. scene. Super good player. Yeah. Uh, uh, he brought Dan in, and then Dan ended up sticking around. Galen ended up moving. Um, and we just stuck a three-piece ever since. Dan's, Dan's been the man. When did, uh, when did you guys release the album? Because you guys have an album out that's, uh, what, was 2018? When did, is that when it we was released? released it, we released it in 2019, but it was recorded in 2015. Oh, okay. We paid an engineer like $1,600 to record it. We paid it all up front. You know, the whole album is actually recorded live. Like, it's all like done at once. Okay. Yeah, I, um, you can kind of hear that. Except for the except for the vocals, I I did overdub the vocals. Okay. Um, but uh, uh, the engineer ended up just getting a job offer to work in uh, California, out in L.A. So he just moved. Oh. And with it went his interest, our money, and his interest <laughs> to finish the project. Oh wow! And he just took my masters. He wouldn't even send me back my masters. That's so I could finish the album. He took my money, he took, and, and so I had no, no more budget, obviously, to do anything else with. We couldn't keep playing shows and not have a product to sell because right. there's certain venues out there that play like a numbers game. Yeah, you know, if they see the you're not building the market value, they will they'll shortchange you. They'll be like, well, we're only going to give you 150 this time. Yeah, and you can't do anything. So we took a two year hiatus. That's when I started learning all the data scraping and stuff like that. In the meantime, I was hunting down this dude. I finally figured out where he was at. I just started calling everywhere he worked. All the studios, I was like, yo, your, your engineer stole like $1,600 in my master's from me. Damn. Like, and I finally got him back. He sent me like this really, he said, one day I got a, a package in the mail that was like an external hard drive and a really passive aggressive note. He had copied, dude had copied like um, his programs folder with all of his plugins and stuff like that and just copied it onto the thing. But like, I mean, you know how programs work. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's no licensing to any of the programs. Right, like, right. I'm not, I can't use any yeah, of these plugins. Yeah, what am I gonna do with this? And I don't want them at that point. Like, right. I, at this point, like, I just want my masters so I can take it to another studio yeah, to my do my file, vocals bro. and yeah. like, and this dude, he was trying, I gave you like $5,000 in plugins and all that. And I'm so like, you didn't I... give me shit. That, like, that's, that's awful. And, and um, yeah, he dude ended up moving back to Columbus. Uh, you know, I you know look look for a shady Italian dude who's about my age, doing uh, doing offering recording sessions. I would just stay away from him. Then stay stay clear of the shady Italian dude. Uh, so how did you end up finishing it then? Um, uh, I had a buddy here in town uh, named Mike Mike Pierce who owns a studio out in Northwood called 6010. Um, uh, he's a really good buddy of mine. He actually, he and I actually, over the process of this, became really close friends. Oh, that's nice. Um, and uh, he gave me a really good deal 
to finish out the record and, and everything and he really put a lot of time and work into it and he did it for a, a nice decent cheap price um uh but yeah it, i mean it slowed us down so you ended up you were still able to end up getting like the wave files and the stem files off of it it just you were, yeah the the wave like the plugins that he had, the effects that he had on it, just that gone. was gone. Yeah. All the mixing, all yeah. that, and then like um, any cuts and stuff. Like we had to figure out, like if there was like a guitar solo, like oh, there, like like if I, there there might have been like one song where like like I hated the guitar solo, so I took the guitar solo out, yeah, and I just like recorded three guitar solos and then like like pick the best one right kind of thing you know what i mean so like there's some of that that's not live uh-huh. you know um but like uh yeah like we had to refine all that wow that's a pain in the ass really yeah it took it took about six an extra six months so it was like it was we recorded it december 2015 mm. you know and we didn't get it out until january 2019 oh wow oh we released our album in January too. Awesome. Um, the what's the name of the album? The Zen and the Art. Thank you. It um, is on Spotify. It's on iTunes. It's on Tidal. Anywhere you can stream your stuff. Anywhere the internet is, man. <laughs> um, can we listen to a song? Yeah, sure. Um, I really, I'm sorry, I don't know the names. I listened to the album. It's it's great. It's but there's one that sticks out. It's a very bluesy one. I think it's the third song. Grabbing my phone like I'm gonna be able to just pull it up. Do you know what I'm referencing? Yeah, or? the song Save Me. Yes, yes. Yeah, let's listen to Save Me and, uh, and we'll be right back.
back. I love that solo you come in because it's the, I don't know what you're doing, but it, I want to do it. <laughs> but there's this, the part where it's like, boom, 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 boom. It's like you're playing these little chords that, they're not chords, but they're like, the way you're using it to solo. I wish I could explain myself better, but it's in classic. Like, cla- in classical music, we call them double stops. Double. You were With, trying to tell me about that. Yeah, actually. like like on violin, or at least this, this is what I call them. Because on violin, they call them double stops. It's, okay. when, it's when you make like um, like two notes, kind of make like a chord, and you, and you move them around. Right, right. Stuff like that. But it's like that's like a, always been like a trade of my of my playing. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I got that from. Yeah. Is just is uh, just moving those those two note chord shapes back right. and forth up and down you know uh you know and i tried to mix that with like some like you know minor harmonic melodic yeah yeah uh, further minor, on down the line you, you know, hear you you come in with your your minor no i i i dig what you guys are doing so now you guys because you said you don't really play toledo a lot you guys played the bronze boar didn't you release a single or was it the video that you we released the video so i i live streamed the video gotcha i haven't actually put the video out and because the reason is because i want to go through publishing i want i want to get it up to where people can pre-save it oh nice and then release the video and put like a like two three four hundred dollars behind like social media marketing to oh, get nice. here's our music video go pre-save it on spotify mm. you know and try to get it on an editorial playlist and, and oh i see i see so so you got a plan for this you got yeah a plan for th- yeah always have a strategy <laughs> always know what you're gonna do i'm telling you you uh i mean you, these two years that you invested when did you start and, and i know we're getting close to the end here so um when did you start doing bitcoin like when did that sort of slide in there the mining stuff. Probably like early 2017. Okay. And but so I had heard about I heard about Bitcoin like yeah, long time ago. Like a long, long time ago. Like when I was like still in high school, I remember somebody being like, "Bitcoin's like 60 bucks right now." It's like, wow. <laughs> wow. I've got I've got like 160 dollars right now. I should go buy some. Did you? No. No. I wish I should have. Like I. Got, <laughs> <laughs> One Bitcoin is only $60. And now yeah. you were saying to us, I mean, last time you checked, what, what is the worth of one Bitcoin right now? Well, dude, last week it went like, how do I describe this? So it, 2017, December 2017, went up to $20,000. Yeah, there was that it, spike, right? And then it crashed. Yes. Down to like 3100 over the course of like tw- all of 2018. And then December 2018, it hit 3,100. Uh-huh. And then immediately just V corrected and stayed for like two months between like 3,500 and 4,500. And then all of a sudden, like the last six months, it spiked. It went all the way up to like 13,000, like something dollars. Damn near almost $14,000. Yeah. And recently it started correcting back into like the 9,000 something dollar. It probably needs to do like, you know, at least a good like 30, 40% correction, you know, like a Fibonacci retracement or something like that, you know. I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I know kind of what Fibonacci, the sequence thing, but I don't get it. I don't understand it. But t- t- Generally, you know, if, if you've got something that like, you know, four X's, there needs to be like some sort of cool off period. Mm, People yeah, have so to close out their gains, you know, maybe go into other in assets. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like they, I mean, right now we're probably in a corrective phase. And, and so, what, when 
so what made you go out and be like, I'm going to start doing this? Like, what was... Oh, completely unconfiscatable money. <laughs> like, like, think about that. Yeah, yeah. Think, Decentralized. Think it. You, if you're, if, if you're, like, if you, for some reason you piss off the government, they can shut down your bank account. They yeah. can just say you don't exist. Yeah. You can't confiscate Bitcoin. You would need more computing power than all of the top 500, the world's top 500 supercomputers combined. You know, some of which are like, you know, the size of like parts of Manhattan. Like yeah. big underground massive things. So like nobody has that much computing power. Right. So it in effect is the most secure network on the planet. You know, yeah. if you wanted to like store something and have, have proof that you're the owner of it and it, everybody around the world know like Bitcoin's the way to do it. It's decentralized. It can't be confiscated unless you're holding it on an exchange. Then, you know, exchange confiscate whatever they want because yeah. unless you hold the private keys, you don't own it. But like, you know, there's so many other things like from, think about from an artist you know, Spotify streaming services like that, like that's about to die. Like five, five years, 10 years, like I don't think streaming services are gonna look the same. I think what we're gonna move towards are like blockchain-based media delivery services, which, oh. are like, which are like completely decentralized products. The incentive would be for like, you know, m miners get like whatever coin this blockchain, you know, hosts. So like, for example, Tron is doing stuff with BitTorrent. Tron is, is a token, it's like a coin. Okay. Okay, and BitTorrent released their own, their own token on the Tron blockchain. Oh. So like when, when, when someone, when, I don't exactly know how it works, just, yeah, I haven't looked this, but like the, their whole thing, you've always known how Bit, BitTorrent works. Yes. You know what I mean? Well, now they're doing it with like a blockchain technology. So like the idea, I guess, would be that you could have like a file be hashed onto a blockchain, you know, and like for us as musicians, if somebody were to have a copy of a song on the computer, and if you would hash that down, and if the output doesn't equal the same output as the one on the blockchain, then you know it's a counterfeit. You know it's fake. You know what I mean? A and fake so, song? Like, yeah, you know, it's, you know it's a bootleg song. Oh, okay. It's okay. a stolen song because the hashed output doesn't equal the same thing. As, so like, or, or like um, if, you're, if you sell digital art, like this is the first time in history we can actually make a digital copy of something and the digital copy be have its own identity its right. own unique thing so like if you're buying a digital piece of artwork how do you know it's the original digital piece right and the answer would be like a blockchain would be yeah, able yeah. would be able to to give you a hashed output and prove that this this is the original copy of the digital piece of artwork and so you're saying in reference to um this would make it so the artist would be guaranteed the the money is that yeah, instead of, instead of just, of compl just complaining about it and throw a hissy fit, like, you know, looking, looking at you, Lars Ulrich. <laughs> oh, my God. He's such an asshole. Right, the, did, you, did, you ever, did you ever see that uh, documentary, uh, Some Kind of Monster? No. It's, it's the funniest, most unintentionally funniest fucking documentary. It's just like, they're all babies. They're fucking babies. And they're, they're like, uh, like, all, like. Like James Hetfield has to go to AA and they recorded a part without him and he comes back and he throws a fucking fit. He's like, oh, you guys know I gotta go to AA. And then <laughs> Lars Ulrich is trying, they go to another part and Lars Ulrich was like, oh no, man, sounds kind of stock. Like this, <laughs> this riff. And like the other guy gets so angry and offended that he called his riff stock. It's so funny. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> 
I, and I love Metallica. I think Metallica's awesome. But right, like, right. Uh, but like to see that you just sort of they lost a little bit of value yeah. in in my heart and mind. <laughs> well, I think I think um, centralized streaming services need to go by the wayside. I think what we need as musicians take back the music industry is we need a decentralized platform so like something where like there's uh maybe a cryptocurrency attached mm. and as a musician you could help mine the blockchain or hold up a known node you know have a, have a node that that uh has a copy of the blockchain on it you know so yeah. that 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 decentralized system can 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 check you, you yes. as you as a as a patriotic musician, <laughs> can can do your duty by saying, you know, yeah. this is the blockchain, you know, validate me, right? You know, val validate my blockchain, and you know, all these miners can check your ledger as a source, you know what I mean? And that's more of what we need, and but that go, that that could be used for anything. I mean, think of the implications that could have on voting. Mm. national elections like right. how many voting machines they say got hacked all, all of them you know what i mean Every single one of them. yeah yeah now imagine imagine if you're a patriotic american you know what i mean you you could you could host a node and each voting season everybody gets a voting token and they can choose to use that token to vote however they want mm. you know what i mean and you can't hack that system it's decentralized right. all these patriotic americans have a copy of this ledger you would need 51% more power than all of those Americans combined. Right. You know what I mean? And, or, you know, with any country. And I, I think the implications of that sort of decentralized technology puts the hands back into the people in places where uh, centralized entities have really made a muck of things. Yeah. You know, uh, so like decentralized streaming platforms, music streaming platforms that are truly decentralized and, and, and can really do the monetization process you know what coin or what blockchain that would be on like i wouldn't know right. but there's there's already you know alternative youtube platforms that people are going to right. that are supposedly have like fairer um payouts than youtube and are un uncensored right. like youtube and i think that's what we need because what has happened is these centralized platforms have homogenized all of our content to where like much of it's just not interesting anymore and, and also, they control an, a certain narrative that they're trying to push forth as well. Exactly. They, they some, have that power to sort of with control some, whatever narrative they're trying to push. Yeah, and with something more decentralized like that, you start seeing pockets of music form. You start seeing scenes of funk music form. Mm -hmm. You know, and people who like funk music and that niche thing, they go out and see it. Yeah. You know, in a way, um, the centralization of media and entertainment has uh, destroyed like pocket communities mm -hmm. like you know people talk about the Motown sound mm -hmm. like like all or, or the New Orleans sound you know like we don't have that so much anymore right. you know you have a lot of musicians with all over the nation doing and that's great mm -hmm. but what we need to do is we need a decentralized platform that can allow for like more more community trading more and more more community work instead of relying on these centralized entities we can kind of take back the power you know and uh there needs to be people to to be leading the torch when when the centralized industries fall like there's not there because it's so unregulated unregulated because there's, there's so much
they're just trying to leverage to keep things going. Nobody's buying music. Like, that's got to change. And there's ways that we can make that change. And the answer is in, like, blockchain technology. And the reason that it has to be attached to a cryptocurrency is because nobody is going to use that much electricity to to run that blockchain unless they're incentivized. Nobody's going to use that blockchain unless they're incentivized. So there has to be some sort of proof of stake or proof of work that people can make money off of for supporting the network. Mm -hmm. And that, that's, why, that's why it works. That's why it's centralized and that's why so many people are into it. Yeah. You, can, you make money on it by supporting the network and then, and then there's a use case for it. Do you think that as technology progresses and stuff, I mean, like, uh, that these blockchains will be able to be ran from, like, uh, in a smaller space, using less power, using, uh, as technology progresses and in the next few years, do you think that that is something that can happen? Because it, as of right now, you're talking about, like, this, uh, like, these, these huge systems, these, like, five or $6,000 systems that are eating up all this electricity, I mean, at, at this point, it's it's kind of it's not well. There's proof of stake. It's there's proof of stake, which doesn't require mining. Okay. But there's there's okay, no, no, there's security issues with it. Okay, I think maybe I I'm getting thing, the terminology confused because I know so little. So blockchaining is not the same as mining. I, I thought like a blockchain is like having like your servers and the cooling stuff. So a blockchain thing. is just the type of database. Okay. So the way a blockchain works is okay. like you have a set of transactions or a piece of data and it's hashed into a block, right? Okay. And then you have, you have the next block that forms, right? But the next block contains all of the transactions and data from the first block as well as new transactions and data. And then that third block then contains all of the information from both those blocks, yeah, okay. puts them in, you see what I mean? So yeah. the current block that's being mined on the Bitcoin blockchain also includes data from the very first Bitcoin ever mined. Oh, okay. So, so that's why it's, a mute, it's an immutable platform. When something happens on it, it's forever. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, then there's, there's, there's different kinds of blockchains, you, you know, you, you, uh, well, the blockchain is just the database, but you can you can have like a proof of stake to do that validation, and you, or you can have a proof of work. Proof of work requires you know someone hosting a node mm -hmm. which holds the ledger of all the transactions, and then somebody mining it, which which you know creates the digital asset and then like you know checks the ledger, you know as as well as like um, creating incentive for people to. To actually have the network run, mm -hmm. like if there what if people couldn't make money on it, you're not going to spend a hundred dollars a month in electricity, or whatever, running this computer. Right. You know what I mean. Proof of stake is a little bit different, and there's a lot of different proof of stake systems out there. Um, there's, I don't know too much about proof of stake. No, so that's I can't, okay. I mean, I we don't I have to go. We don't have to go yeah, nerd yeah. balls into this, but um, but yeah, I, yeah. I'm just it's it, no. This is fucking so fascinating. Um, we're we're running out of time here uh my made up time of course <laughs> no you're fine i got time I, and and i have to use the restroom <laughs> uh, so what what is your goal with jojo stella like what do you want to do with the band i mean is are you looking for i mean are you looking for a national recognition uh, i know it, it's such a screwed up industry and it's so hard to even 
sort of now what direction are you going with the band and with with all the work you're doing with data scraping and all the, the what is your end goal what is your result what are you looking for for Jojo Stella well Jojo Stella is like well, it's art for mm -hmm. one I, it's music it's, it's like always been like a vehicle of like self-expression but like I really would like to um, ultimately just tour and and play music and content creation obviously but um it's just one one way to pass the time till i die baby you know how it goes <laughs> i do i do know how it but goes. it's but you know you you find the things you love mm -hmm. and and that becomes the meaning of your life and the meaning of my life it's just finding things that i'm really passionate about finding ways to monetize that so I can keep doing it and living mm -hmm. um, and I just love playing music point blank like I love it I've loved it since the very first day I picked up a guitar it's everything to me it's yeah. like everything I wish to embody and so whether that becomes like a nationally or internationally known thing I don't really care um, I am interested in just putting a message out there, putting some music out there. If people find it and they dig it, good. If if it does get that big, that that's fine. Um, I think I might be a little bit terrified if there's like in front of too many people, <laughs> you know. But like, but like I think I think in, in general, like if I could just get Joe Stella to a point where I'm just like can pay for my bills. Yeah. And just pay my bills and like live a normal life. Like I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm completely fine with that. I I would be fine literally just touring the Midwest and touring around as long as I got to play my own music and music that I like to play. And it paid my bills. Yeah. Um and you know, along with like I mean the blockchain stuff is just I mean, mining's just a passive form of income. You know, it's a speculative investment. You know, and, uh, you know, at some point I thought about starting like um, like a, a booking and data management specifically, like a company that, that we don't do talent management per se. Like I'm not going to go out and, and try to make the artist look good under certain means. Like my goal would be to specifically book them and just manage their data, you know, and not do, not do a, like when you say talent management mm -hmm. there tends to be an air of you'll also do a little pr here and there mm -hmm. you know like i don't want to do any of that i want to i'm trying to start a company called nova house i'm trying to launch in uh summer 2020 i'm trying to have a big concept festival event like a single day concept event called the big bang sweet you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. so um so there's there's some of that yeah. and i'd like to i'd like to eventually like you have a podcast I'd like to start doing live streaming mm -hmm. and and really tackling spreading more information about how artists should manage themselves yeah. in the coming not not filled with gimmicks not filled with here's how you growth hack Spotify yeah. here's how you get like this because like there's so much of that out there like yeah. you can find it anywhere anywhere and you know I might be like I might actually literally put it as here's how you growth hack this centralized platform here's how you take advantage of this algorithm yeah. and that's fine but like what my target audience are, are people who are extremely talented, 
um, really great musicians, maybe just coming out of out of college for jazz studies or something like that, or maybe not, maybe not at all. Maybe they literally just like an acoustic folk artist, whatever. In convincing them not to sell tickets, convincing them to do things the right way, take the right steps, and and I have a platform. I, I'm trying to maybe hire some web developers. Um, you know, and these are all ideas. I'm, I've kind of like I'm building prototypes for. Yeah, I, yeah. I haven't really like solidified anything, no, but no. I want to. I want to get a web developer. I want to start a, a, a pro. I'm trying to get a program together called Starcross. Starcross was is basically my vision of like this whole Slack social media networking thing for musicians. And the idea would be that you could you, you could go on there as an artist needing a certain amount of dates and community members could book each other. You could have freelance booking agents on there that you could hire out, you know what I mean? But it ends up being like natural selection. Like obviously, if you have no market value and you're trying to ask for $600 to play a one hour show to fill a date that's two weeks out, no one's gonna book that. Right. You know what I mean? When you post that, you know, and then there's like certain like checks and balances so people can't take advantage of the system. But like a lot of backend automation, like one of the things I realized when I was working with Alchemy House was, these, these companies have real big issues keeping track of who reached out to where and when. And so uh, you get a lot of double booking situations, yeah. you know what I mean? Or situations where 10 people reached out to the same venue. And let me tell you something, like your venues do not like being contacted by three people at the same, it, same thing. Like it, it really confuses them. Yeah. It comes off as super unprofessional. Right. This would be a way that a band could say, hey guys, community members, friends, Anybody out there, we're this band. We're looking to get this much money, minimum. We need this date filled. And you could have 100 people reaching out on behalf of this band, and none of them would ever reach out to the same venue. Mm. Because, because there's, there's like venue claiming, like this agent claims this venue, you know what I mean? And they can only hold on to it for this many days, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Things like that, but, but like a system like that, we need that. We don't have that. And right now, similar systems don't even have back-end automation or any sort of workflow automation like that. And, and dude, I kid you not, there's people paying like $800 a month for, this, for similar software, you know. But we need something like that. We need something like that that, that that is a subscription model, that is cheap, and that is decentralized, you know, and, and creates a golden standard. I mean, if... Every industry has some sort of gold standard tool. It just happens to be like for us as musicians, we need products. We need like yeah. software that handles this stuff. And my goal would be to take somebody who has no idea about how to run them, their business as a musician and literally make the platform so easy to use that like a child, a teenager starting a metal band could do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and have it be set up like Slack where you have channels where you can invite people in to to you know your data sets to work with your data sets mm -hmm. you know and you can work with theirs yeah you kind of know what I mean yeah I, I kind of do I mean you're building like a, a almost like a social <laughs> network of, of information yeah yeah that's sort of but the, but it's 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 a network for people to leverage their data right right and, and work together and dehomogenize some of the booking industry right cut out the middleman of yeah. sorts but you know this is just speculation these of are just course. these are ideas. And this is some of the stuff I want to do. Nova House uh, is a booking company, and then and then my automation workflows put into a product that's very easy to use for 
other musicians to utilize in, in some sort of decentralized fashion, you know. And I guess that's kind of my goal with with music. With in, music in general, it's with, just yeah. sort of creating. It, that's nice. I don't mean. I don't mean. I'm sorry. I don't mean to ramble on so much about it. <laughs> I, that's what literally what podcast. What <laughs> that's all podcasting is. <laughs> but I appreciate it though because sometimes you. Okay, I'm not gonna do that. I was about to shit on one of my guests. <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, like when you talk to somebody and they're just sitting there giving you a yes or no answers, or or and you feel like you're draw you have to like pull it you pulling teeth you know it's yeah it's, it doesn't make for very entertaining situation i try, I try to li- write a line between like you know giving giving content but like not well yeah because what you're talking about and like and i'm sitting here thinking as well it's like these are fucking genius ideas and like maybe this is the place to say it maybe you should launch it but i mean whatever you obviously talk about it and you're open about it and, and it seems like it's something that you want to be uh, very accessible for people, and yeah. I'm coming. Where I'm coming from is someone stealing your idea and then implementing it. I suppose, but uh, I mean, I wouldn't, you're the only I wouldn't care if they did steal it because the difference between me and them is I don't really care about making money off of a platform like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what my mo- my model would be. Literally, like remember we were talking about booking agents, mm-hmm. right? How you 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 get a booking agent to book for you between ten to fifteen percent, right? Mm-hmm. So like let's say let's say Drew posts on there, he's like, hey. You know, posts on the booking on the gig requests, mm-hmm. you know, area. He's like, and it's a web app too. It's like a progressive web app. That would that would be the thing. It wouldn't be like an outdated. It would be like a full web app. Like yeah. You could actually like run it on a tablet. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah, yeah. So like, Drew's like, I need a gig on the thirtieth. You know, we're looking for two hundred dollars. Yeah. You know, well, whoever booked that for him would get fifteen percent of whatever oh. they booked for him. You know what I mean? And then we as a platform would take like 0.5% yeah, yeah, yeah. of the overall gig amount. So if oh. he if he made if he made a, let's say just to make it easy 100 bucks you uh-huh. know, for 100%, you right. know, 100 bucks. Um, that booking agent or well the the when the once the gig's booked, the the day the, sh- the day after the show happens, that band pays escrow, uh, we take uh, like 50 cents out cuz mm-hmm. that's half a percent. Yeah. And the booking agent gets, you know, fourteen fifty. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? And th- and that's how that would work. Right. And that's how you could incentivize musicians yes. musicians to book for each right. other. But but they, get around but get around the representation issues mm-hmm. because then you have freelance musicians jumping on this I platform see. to just sit there all day. And doing that's what this. you're talking about, the value of, of just a musician knowing this guy at the venue who could get a, a booking who knows somebody a direct line to that venue. Yeah, and then and then you get you that, get bands that, that you get bands value. trading trading data. There might yeah. even be a band that's got like some really golden level like contact and right. he's like selling it for like a hundred bucks like if that's how he's making money that's how he's making money right right but like my goal would to be to make a platform like that where we're not making very much money except for our infrastructure costs and i highly doubt anybody's gonna gonna want to beat me on that because i'm willing to spend thousands of dollars to get that developed and then put it in place right and not make any money on it and if somebody else did that before me like they might make money on it but mine's gonna be more reasonable because it's cheaper. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and the money is staying within the artists. You know what right. I mean? Like, and all they're paying for is to support the platform. That I'm. Um, so go ahead, I, whoever, whoever, go ahead, steal this. Yeah. Unless you're willing to do it for next to nothing, <laughs> like good luck, like beating me. No, I I love that. I 
that that's awesome and and that little follow-up on that like made it way more clear to me what you're trying to do and that is so fucking beautiful man that's a that's a very beautiful uh that's definitely like one of those uh leaving your space better than how you found it because because we see we see the toxicity of of how you know having to sell your own tickets or going through fucking some asshole or you know just just the 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 monotony and the bullshit that you have to where you spending more time trying to make these connections than you are making music or even you're even providing like um a space for people to make those connections for themselves yeah. in such a way where everything's laid out for them mm. like you know if we could find a way to work with like indie on the move and get their data sets yeah you know what i mean and and get like the indie vibe or even like if they won't do it screw it like i'll scrape their data sets <laughs> and then i'll i'll scrape I'll scrape uh, the indie Bible, and then I'll just mesh them, and then I'll then I'll I will own the data because I will it will they, it'll be a concatenation of data that we put together in our own research, wow. you know what I mean? And if that's what I have to do, that's what I have to do. I'm willing to spend the time doing that. I'm willing to take hours and hours of my time doing that right. because I want not only do I want a platform that I can literally just log into and I can be like, these are the venues I like to book at, you know what I mean? And literally just click a button and it writes the email for me. Right. You know what I mean? Wow. It writes the, uh, a suggested style email. It shows people this is how it works. You know, many new musicians get in and they write like like books to book their band. Like they literally write like a two-page email. Yeah. Like you literally want to have the shortest email possible. Like I, I think my maximum email length is like three sentences. Could you just say those sentences? Yeah, here. I'll actually read one off. Another another thing is if someone was reaching out to you and be like, "Hey, we want 500, but we're negotiable." Is that something that's a turnoff to you if you were a booker? If they're like, "Hey, we want 500 bucks, but we know this is a new market, so here's we'll we'll we can negotiate that price." I would tell them straight up, like, because like, people ask me all the time, "How, how much does Jarjip Stella get paid?" And my answer is always like, "I try to get at least 300 for this band." Mm-hmm. If it were a talent buyer asking me, I'd tell them I try to get at least five hundred for this band. <laughs> but 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 like but like it depends on the market value of the show. And and I'm I'm gonna say market value of the show, not market value of the band. Mm-hmm. Because you might not have a market value anywhere. And that venue can just pull people right. like nuts and you walk away with eight hundred bucks. Right. That festival organizer, promoter might know so many people, you might walk away with eight hundred bucks. There might be nobody there yeah. because the venue can't pull, the promoter can't pull. Right. You know, so it's, a lot of times it's not even just up to the band; it's the market value of the show. Yeah. So, like, if a, a, a festival promoter contacts me, they're like, "Well, how much do you guys want?" I'm gonna be like, "Well, I'm gonna look at the event page. I'm gonna look at it. I'm gonna make a smart risk management, like a, like a risk deduction from this, and say 400. Right. You know, or 250 like I'm gonna be reasonable about right. it because they only you can tell you can do there's there's math that you can do and you look at the ticket price you look at how many p- people are attending on say they're attending on Facebook mm. you know what I mean Facebook metrics are all screwed up you know but you can get an idea right and chances are like that that the idea is, is gonna work mm. you know what I mean if, if, if you just if you know you know if there's like a thousand people on Facebook that say they're going 
you better bet I'm going to ask for 500 bucks. And mm -hmm. I guarantee you the festival can pay that if they want us bad enough. Right. You know what I mean? If there's like 150 people that are going to be there, like I'm going to ask for 250, 200. Like it just makes sense. Right. Like, um, but like those, mar those, those booking emails, yeah. like here's what those sound like. So, Let's say I'm, uh, give me one second. Basically, it'll be like, hello, I'm contacting you on behalf of Funk Rock and Soul Outfit, JoJo Stella, and I put our EPK in parentheses right after that. Mm -hmm. I'm contacting you in regards uh, you know, I'm contacting you because we're setting up our, our routing for the upcoming season. Do you have this date, this date, or this date open? Thanks so much for your time. Humble regards. And that's it. That's it. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, <clears throat> most artists don't know this sort of ins and outs. Right. The, the, this, this small stuff. And uh, I, I think it's important to know that. Hold on, I'm trying to mute my phone oh it's all good man no i i absolutely and that i think it's important to help people with that you you, you give people a, a resource that's just so easy to use they can just have their hand held the whole way it creates a golden standard for interaction and we've created an economy for ourselves there's yeah. no longer an unregulated thing there's 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 etiquettes i mean it's already etiquette stuff like that you know yes. like break down your kid off the stage yeah you know shit out of there right yeah, away. like stuff like that but like but like real etiquette. I mean, like I've played concerts where for one hour, we played for one hour and made $800. Yeah. I've played concerts where we played for five hours and made 50. Right. You know? Yeah, me too. So like, I'm with you. but that's an issue. That is. And so like tools like this, tool, tools like, like I'm, I'd like to put together or hopefully somebody will put together if not me. I, I, I think that's a, an amazing idea, man. That's like, I think that, I mean, that just eliminates so much bullshit, man. It's just so much bullshit. Like, I, it, I just, I always say this. I always say, like, sometimes I find myself doing everything but music. And, of course, some of that is self-imposed, like photography or whatever I find interesting at the moment. But it's still, like, I, I, I find myself not doing what I love the most because I have to do this, you know, this this other stuff. Yeah, the, the, the faster musicians learn to automate and, and create infrastructure for themselves, the more music they can play. Yeah. And otherwise, what ends up happening is you get the kind of musician who just ends up ignoring all that and they just end up just being in the band. Yeah. And they're just a hired gun. Yeah. And that, that works too. Yeah, and, yeah. and that, those guys, those guys are really good. That's well, I mean, like, and, and like, I was able to do that kind of, and and I'm not gonna put myself. I know where I stand when it comes to my abilities, and like, to be a hired gun that just can sit in on any situation. Like, I can't walk into a jazz jam and just fucking go to town. That's not me. That's not what kind of musician I am. But for specific things, I could easily be hired out, and that's what I, a lot of what I did in San Diego. There's, uh, there's uh, this idea of like the, the I, don't, is that, I don't know if this is the right terminology, but the micro economy where like, is that what it's called? Where, where people, like uh, Fiverr, do you know what Fiverr is? 
Yeah. Um, it's like that kind of economy, but it I is exactly like that. Yes. Those the fiber economy, um, like, and, and having, I, I, that's where I see it all going as well. Is like, you have in the time where like a lot of these jobs are going to be like automation is going to take a lot of just regular jobs, factory jobs, driving jobs and stuff. And I feel like this is probably how it's going to end up, you know, with this. I don't, I don't think microeconomy is the right word. Fuck, I don't know what it, I can't remember the right word for it. But I feel like people are just going to have to take on other skills in order to fit. Because I know when the 2008 financial crisis hit, I was in San Diego. I couldn't get a job anywhere. And, like, I really had to figure out. I ended up going to school and getting in debt so I could just afford to live out there. But... Um, it was, uh, but what I learned was is that I had to have a lot of skills to pay rent three blocks from the beach in San Diego, California. Yeah. And I feel like that's how it's just going to be for everybody eventually when no one has, uh, no one can, when you can't truck anymore and no one, you know, like you can't, you, you're not a, uh, swiping people's groceries in the checkout line, you know, like that's all automated. I mean, it's already started in the grocery stores, your self-checkout. So it's, it's yeah, like I, work, I worked in the food industry for a while and I'll refuse to do it anymore. Oh, I can't I'm do it. I mean, there's like owners sitting there screaming at each other. Like, Cooks and, or and I worked at, I worked at, I worked at two restaurants that made like bar food and both bars ended up like, I ended up like, you know, quitting, mm -hmm. but like one of them owes me five hundred dollars still, yeah. Like, exactly. like still like for like straight up like four, 40 hours of work, yeah. You know, and just never paid me. That was like two years ago, yeah. You know, and like another one owed me one hundred and fifty. Like I never. It's such a shady industry, yeah. And like, like that the whole I don't know. Like the whole service industry is gonna go away. Yeah. Everything's gonna be like a lot of like you're gonna see like a lot of people like buying and selling cars on the fly. Right. You know what I mean? Like trying to trying to buy goods and, and then upsell them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. For a while. Um yeah, I mean you already see people doing that where they just go around to like Goodwills and find like Legos and then they check in how much is this on Amazon? And then oh shit, I'll just buy all these and resell them on Amazon yeah. for market for whatever that market cost is. I mean that it's already like Uber, you know, Uber is another like Uber and, and Uber Eats and any of these fucking things, like, and even Uber is gonna be automated, but but those kind of economies are just gonna have to be made, or else I mean, there's gonna be a lot of people out of fucking luck, and um, you know, I I navigate through this world thankfully at my own behest. I don't answer to anybody except for my wife, who is a very loving angel. <laughs> but uh, I I don't I don't have a boss. Like no one's telling me when to get up. I get up with the sun. I, no one's telling me. That. There's a certain amount of freedom that comes with that, but like, I don't know how much freedom there's gonna be when everybody's sort of having to do that same thing as well. No. I don't, you know, I, I guess I just went into that dystopian future thing, but <laughs> it's it's just a weird. I feel like this kind of economy is gonna be more prevalent as we move forward and as you know, technology puts people out of work. It's just where it's going already, and I, I guess I guess I'm, maybe I'm gloating. Maybe it's fortunate because I'm sort of already there you know what I mean like this is how I already exist I already exist on this you already exist on this it's the people who've been um, who've been working that same job at Walmart for 
20 years or trucking for 30 years that are going to be fucked. And, and people people who, who really value stability are going to yeah. be like, in the next 10 years, they're, they're going to have a difficult time. Yes. The rest of us probably be like a little bit used to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's months where we're doing great. There's months where we're not. And July yeah. is one of those months. Or July, Ju- June, June and, and July, July are definitely, <laughs> definitely really great months for musicians. No. Uh, so, so I... Um, yeah, so we're kind of dealing with that right now, but we're, we're finding new ways for revenue. My wife's an actress now, and she gets paid for it. And my son's an actor now. He just get booked his first acting gig. He's going to be a model. He's going to make $200, his money, going in his Dude, that's video. awesome. I, right? Like, and he's so hype. And you know what the first thing he did? Um, we're not like a big Christian household, but he went to a Christian uh, preschool, so he kind of has this idea of Jesus. And... We're gonna let that ride for now, but it will just turn into that general God figure, whatever the unexplained thing that whoever your God is, you know. So, but he was thankful. He was like, he stopped and he he made time to give thanks, and that was just such a awesome moment that he lands this gig, and the first thing he does is like, thank you. He thanks the universe, and yeah. so. I, that was a beautiful moment and had nothing really to do with what we were talking about. <laughs> I no, I just wanted yeah, to share I that. Because it, it was yeah. so cute. It, for sure. First scene moment. And it made me feel like I'm doing my job properly. You always, well, you always appreciate the people who give you, give you your gigs, man. I told you we went deep, baby. We went deep. Uh, I, you know, he has some very interesting ideas, and um, he's a very convincing person. And he, he's, just, he, he's just a very convincing person. And you could tell the passion uh, in his, in his. You could just tell the passion in, in when he speaks. That, uh, yeah, you know, he really means this shit. And uh, I'm mad respect to Christopher, and uh, I look forward to uh, playing with him in the future. He's a great guitarist. And uh, he, I play. I'm playing with him in another project uh, with the drummer of Green Acre Sessions. It's sort of a separate funk project, and it's in the process of being worked out. And I'm super excited about it because it's it's totally the band that I've always wanted to play. Uh, play it. It's like uh, ever since you see like bands like uh, the Dap Kings, or I mean, I mean, even going back to James Brown. Um, my one of my favorite funk bands is Surefire Soul Ensemble, which I, you guys hear about all the time. Um, you know, it's just it's in that vein of throwback funk. Uh, <laughs> uh, my wife was wondering, is like, why do white guys turn thirty and feel like they need a podcast and a funk band? Um, I, I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> I told her I don't know. Uh, maybe it's the pre midlife crisis, or or maybe we're just very creative. Anyways, <laughs> we're going to get away from that. Uh, go to rainamystique.com, R-E-I-N-A-M-Y-S-T-I-Q-U-E, and uh, .com, and check out the new album, 1018. We, uh, we're super proud of it, and uh, I wrote some of the songs on there, and you can get a physical copy there, or you can stream on uh, Instagram. Yeah, you can stream it on Instagram. You can, <laughs> you can stream it on Google Play, Tidal, uh, Apple Music, anywhere you get your podcasts. 
I'm sorry. Anywhere you get your music. You know, it's early. I, I'm not, yeah, I, I, I can't handle it sometimes. I had one cup of coffee and uh, it's not enough. It's not enough coffee. I, my body's telling me, you need to go get some more coffee because uh, I'm physically addicted to coffee. But at least it's not cocaine, right? Or heroin or whatever. Um, okay, here we go. Uh, go to wespeakenglishgood.net and check out the newly redesigned website. And um, that's all I got to say about that. Uh, let's go. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at We Speak English Good. You can write the show at We Speak English Good at gmail.com. Let us know how you're feeling. Let, let us know. It, it, Christopher uh, goaded you guys into sending him hate mail. So <laughs> if you want to send us hate mail for Christopher, I, I mean, he welcomed it. I, I stopped welcoming hate mail because you guys are assholes sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if you guys got something to say about it, please let me know. Uh, we speak English good at gmail.com. All right. And let's see. Uh, what? Oh, yeah. Share the podcast. Rate the podcast. Uh, uh, please leave a comment on SoundCloud or on Facebook. Anywhere, please. I'll read your uh, email or comments on air if uh, they're not asinine and even if they are asinine i'll probably read them on the air anyways so uh, that is it for me guys i am gonna be on the road i so i i know i i know i uh, i hit a rerun last week and i can like i could tell you guys aren't really into the rerun I, i mean like i'm sure a lot of my anybody new coming to the show hasn't heard shit before a hundred the hundredth episode so i don't know people don't like reruns i guess but it's summertime and i'm busy a little and so um there's gonna be a couple more reruns but i do want to say this i do have the 200th episode in the can now and it's with a it's with a band member from a band that you know for sure. I think the entire world knows who this band is. So I'm very excited to release that. And um, yeah, I so yeah. Anyways, that's not for a couple more weeks, but it is in the can. We are I'm saving it for the 200th. And um, so I'm gonna be trying to. Uh, release some new episodes while I'm in California because I will have access to a studio out there. Um, and so I should be able to somehow upload some new episodes. And if I can get a new episode while on the road, I do plan on recording some podcasts while out in San Diego. So, um, you know, we'll figure it all out guys. Uh, but just in case, I do have reruns coming up for the next for at least next week, but I might not. <laughs> it's all up in the air. I mean, in in reality, it'll probably be reruns for the next two weeks until I get back into town, back to Toledo, and I'm able to sort of process the uh, you know the shows. I don't know how it's gonna work out. I know I do have like a week in California where I'm gonna be working on um, my synthwave album that's gonna be coming out someday. Um, so I'm gonna be out there working. Uh, I'm gonna be doing just just working on the album and touring and you know trying to do podcasts. So uh, I will be trying to collect some kind of data for you guys to share. And 
I'm excited. It'll be fun. It'll be a change of pace again. We'll be back in California talking to, you know, them San Diego musicians. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I, I don't know how it's going to go, but uh, I'm excited to be out there. I'm excited to be on the road and and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, another thing is, is that I'm, I'm looking forward to getting out of this fucking swamp heat. Uh, our air conditioning went down and uh, well, we we're musicians and we can't afford to fix it at this very moment so we are just dealing with that shit so uh yeah it's like like last night the temperature dropped a lot it was like 70 degrees outside but like the house is very it holds heat very well and so you walk outside and it's 70 degrees and you walk inside it's like 95 degrees and like it's still sweltering in here it, it's nuts it's it's nuts so i am looking forward to at least Getting out of the swamp heat and getting into the desert heat for just a little bit. Just a little bit, you know. And then I'll be back. Uh, but, it, 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 I mean, I'm waking up in sweat, man. It's 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 not it's no bueno. I, my wife has taken to sleeping away from me and Bishop because um, we generate so much heat. And, <laughs> and we sweat in our sleeps. And she just doesn't want that on her or near her because it's so fucking hot, man. I mean, I get it. Who wants to be sweat upon in the night? You know, like that doesn't that doesn't sound it sounds it sounds kind of creepy, actually. Someone's sweating on you in the night. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. But uh, so I am looking forward to hitting up California. Uh, there is this uh, this oh uh, this jam. Uh, that Tim Felton of the Surefire Soul Ensemble, uh, Coal Mine Records, go check him out. Uh, he's running out Rosie O'Grady's, which is this awesome bar in San Diego that is uh, totally has given the power of the music to the musicians. And they're they're so awesome. They're like one of those people is like, if you vouch for a musician, they'll be like, yeah, we'll give them a shot. And they're just... They're just bringing music to the community on such a cool level. They have all the like young, hip jazz cats going in there. Uh, now Tim is running a weekly thing every Tuesday, I think in the summer or maybe forever. I don't know, but every Tuesday there's going to be a funk jam at Rosie O'Grady's. So if you're ever traveling through San Diego and uh, looking for an awesome funk jam on a night off, Tuesday nights, Rosie O'Grady's. Go check that shit out. Uh, you won't do, be disappointed. <laughs> There's gonna be nothing but hard hitters there who just fucking are killing the scene there locally and nationally, man. So uh, yeah, check it out. I, I'm excited about it. I I, I want to go down there and you know check it out. Oh, they also uh, a few of the musicians in town there in San Diego. Uh, their keyboardist including Tim Felton and Bobby Cressy and uh, Ed Kornhauser. Uh, I can't, there was one more guy, I can't remember their name, but uh, uh, but they all, I, I don't know how they worked it out, but they went in on a B3 and had it installed into Rosie O'Grady. So there will always be a B3 organ <laughs> at Rosie O'Grady's to be functified, which is amazing. That's just like, that's what I'm talking about, uh, San Diego musicians sort of took over and and started fostering a scene there instead of uh, what we were talking about in the p 
podcast you just listened to. So um, this is a great example of how the musicians out there have sort of taken the scene back and and uh, they support each other. And the next generation of buying ta- talent buyers are, are, are part of that musician circle. So it's like it's 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 awesome i love it i love i love what uh i love what san diego had has become as a music scene um and i you know even i know christopher in this podcast uh he was you know he wasn't too impressed with the music scene here but um you know like it's all about perspective man like for me i see it as toledo is kind of thriving i know that there's not there's a you know certain venues in town here who are doing the pay for play and uh you know i I don't agree with that i'm not a fan of that at all um but it's a start i guess and uh and i hope christopher is able to implement his ideas and bring them to uh bring them to fruition because i think what he's talking about is is fucking revolutionary it's beautiful man um it's as revolutionary as like bitcoin um so we'll see what happens, right? I, I, uh, I, I, I'm just happy I can work here and work in the region. Um, and uh, besides, Toledo is not the end-all, be-all in the area. Uh, we have Ann Arbor, Detroit, Chicago, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus, like all these other cities. And uh, if, if, when Christopher, you know, he he doesn't play in Toledo a lot. He he goes out in other places because you know he doesn't feel like there's a place for him here, and uh, and that's sad because he's from here. I feel like you should have a place um, in the place you're from, uh, but I, I think he's getting past that. Like, cause the bronze boar, he's playing the bronze boar here in town, and I, I really love playing the bronze boar. I think it has a great vibe there. They have, I mean, they've really started to get original bands in there and original music in there, and 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 pay the musicians and stuff so uh hats off the bronze boar it's amazing and their backyard and their back uh, patio area in the out, outdoor stage is amazing it's like it, and it's disorienting and uh, and and it's perfect for what they got going on out there so hats off to the bronze boar for bringing original original music in the town and paying people uh, paying people money for playing music and original music at that too uh it's great so uh you know it's not toledo's not a big city and uh but i I do like that there is energy here within the music scene and um i i I, you can't take that away from the scene itself it's 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 awesome uh so I, I'm not, you know, like, anyways, okay, let's just stop here, this is getting ridiculous, I got, I gotta do other things, sorry guys, I, and if you're still listening, congratulations, I don't know why, uh, but thank you, I appreciate it, and, uh, I hope you guys can get past the fact that reruns probably will be coming, so, alright guys, be good to your fellow human beings, HJ's for everybody, I'll see you guys, uh, I don't know, I'll see you guys out there on the road. Come say hi. Bye.